0: Hey everyone, Eric here. I'm excited to announce our newest show on investing at Turpentine, Sorcery by Molly O'Shea. Sorcery brings the conversations investors and founders have behind closed doors to light. Past episodes have featured Alex Kolitsich of AVC, Xander Oltman of Commodity Capital, and David Weisberg of 10X Capital, whom you might know from another Turpentine show. This is the show for investors by investors. We dive deep into topics like the significance of LPGP dynamics, portfolio construction, if SaaS is really dead, AI theses and predictions, and more. Check it out by searching Sorcery on any podcast platform today.
1: I think people are interested in ideas. to think ideas are important. My sort of study into wokeness shows that it's actually often not ideas. It's just sort of bureaucratic initiatives or responding to a certain election or trying to get voters in some way. It leads to this law, that leads to this like industry popping up and this industry sort of justifies uh, what they wanted to do in in the first place. It's not like there's a type of like there's a conservative gene or a conservative trait or a liberal trait, right? So it seems like a certain combination of a kind of man becomes a conservative. He might be smart, but not too smart. And he might be mask very masculine right or very sort of tribal in his instinct. And I think that combination is sort of the, uh, the talk radio guy. I think that I think that guy is a certain type. And then you have the high intelligence, maybe low testosterone, maybe low competitive, yeah, sort of womanly and sort of like this empathy and stuff like that. I think those guys tend to be tend to be liberals, right? Trump really matters for our politics. I think he's gonna probably the most likely scenario is he uh, wins a nomination probably loses the general or he might win if he loses the general i think he's the nominee in 2028 and probably 2032 and and probably indefinitely he doesn't die he's not he doesn't die no he doesn't die they run his hologram yeah after a while after a while
0: Today's episode is with writer and political scientist, Richard Hanania. Richard is one of the leading intellectuals whose voices and opinions make it to the mainstream, though he himself may not be a household name. He has a new book titled The Origins of Woke, Civil Rights Law, Corporate America, and the Triumph of Identity Politics. Richard sat with me for a wide-ranging, extended conversation where we discuss conservatism, diversity, and the history of the culture wars. Let's get right to it. Here's Richard. Richard, welcome to my podcast. Thank you for joining glad to be here Eric. thanks for having me on so richard for for my friends who may not be familiar with your work when they ask me hey what what's your great intellectual contributions i typically point them to a few things one is your your wokeness as civil rights uh piece or your kind of series and and your kind of origins of wokeness your upcoming book which w- which we'll talk about then also kind of the psychographic profiles you know leftists and rightists or liberals and conservatives uh the you know liberals read more conservatives watch more tv uh conservatives are uh, you know more immoral lower Iq <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a little bit
1: that's a little bit of a uh, know. you know exaggeration sometimes I enjoy myself
0: I know I know um and then also kind of your um analysis of kind of the gender dynamics and how that influences um you know sort of uh how in organizations or, or just how things have changed in in politics or or uh in everyday life uh, and you had a piece on you know on on on, on women uh women's tears wins in the marketplace of ideas that is also a playful, uh, phrase, but, um, you know, gets at some, some real things there. Do do you identify with those as your greatest contributions or or what would you add to that? Don't, don't be a modest.
1: Yeah. I think the wokeness stuff, I think I said something new and important and that's why I'm, I'm writing a book on the, on the topic, um, you know, greatest intellectual contributions. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. I think a liberals read conservatives watch TV is something new. I think it's something that sort of strikes people as intuitively, correct but I, I think i put my finger on something that's sort of a constellation of things that sort of people understand but nobody sort of put it in one place and gave like a pithy you know phrase to and collected all the evidence uh, the thing that originally um so, uh, my first piece to get wide circulation was um, why is everything liberal uh, I am you know proud of that one um, I think it does explain a lot about our modern world yeah I mean I've done foreign policy stuff I have a foreign policy book um you know it's it, it's okay I think it teaches you something about American foreign policy definitely it doesn't got that much attention but you know that's that's another one you know it's also up there and so yeah I write a lot of different things and people, you know you know sometimes they like really obscure pieces or they like the popular pieces so you I'm glad, whatever, you know, whatever I can have influence.
0: Yeah. And the, the TLDR of the foreign policy was that you, you know, use sort of the public choice theory that we, you know, use to analyze kind of domestic um, dysfunction among governments and you applied it to our foreign policy apparatus. Is that, is that. Right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. I think it's really useful. I mean, people, maybe it's not that surprising to people who are not uh, like, you know, scholars of international relations, but I think people who are closer to foreign policy, sometimes, you know, I've had that sort of their uh, minds sort of warped by the conventional ways of thinking about these things. And I, you know, I think that a lot of IR theory has sort of led people astray and people who are not, you know, international relations spe- specialists might have never, you know, never been out, uh, you know, uh, taken in that direction in the first place. So some of them just, you know, might not be that surprised, but for people in the field, uh, I think it's I think it's a useful contribution.
0: So uh Vivek uh Ramaswamy, and we'll get into Vivek Mania in a bit, a bit. he came on the he came on the podcast and he, he said that he was enlightened by his conversations with you in terms of how he's thought about uh the origins of, of wokeness. Originally he sort of kind of implied that it was this sort of uh, you know, implicit or emergent pact that corporations made to kind of appease activists without sacrificing profits. And Thanks to conversations with you, has has seen how actually it's more fundamentally rooted in um, kind of law that stems, you know, stems back a few decades. What? Why don't you add some nuance to what what you what you perceived as his interpretation? And uh, you know what? What what is the actual reason in your case?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was you know very impressed with the you know uh, from what I've got to know um, from how I've got to know Vivek, I mean, just from you know, him personally, I I think you know we when we um, started to get to know each other it was like slightly after I'd written an American Affairs uh, review of his book, which wasn't you know which wasn't a positive review. It was a very you know negative review. I felt a little bit a little bit bad about it. Um, but he reached out and you know we talked about it and you know we we discussed the issue and we both cared about the issue and um, you know he was really open to the critiques. So a lot of open to like a lot of things I was saying. And so um, you know as he launched his presidential campaign, you know he's really talking about as law. Um, I was uh, I was on his podcast. It was just recently released. And you know he wants to know about the executive orders. He wants to know about the exact laws. You know it helps. He has a law degree people like I do. He's uh, he went to he's a graduate of Yale Law School so just knowing a little bit about the law how the legal system works uh i think is useful here it makes people more easily able to understand the the larger argument and Vivek, you know himself i you know brought brought the esg issue to my attention um i i wasn't that wasn't really on my radar um but the more i talk to people um especially people in business it seems to be something that's very serious and vivek was really the first person i heard that talked about talking about it that i didn't know what it was and i give him credit for that so yeah i think it's a sign that you know this stuff is Breaking through, um, you know, I see, I see hints of um, you know uh, conservative governors and state legislatures, you know, going to work on civil rights law stuff. I mean, one is Texas just got rid of uh, uh, the, uh, the diversity initiatives in uh, higher state hiring. I mean, you know, what took so long? But the fact that people like, you know, like ten years ago, like diversity was just like it was just like you know corporate, you know, it was corporate. Uh, it's just like you know, just nothing. It was just seen as like fluff language. Nobody saw it as like anything sinister. And the strength of what's happened in the last like you know three three years three or four years is it's really become politicized. Now, if you say you know we're into diversity in our corporation, it's like saying you know we're pro-choice or we're for higher taxes. Like nobody would have seen it as okay. This is a this is a left wing position. You're 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 coming down and saying we're you know with half the country and we're against half the country. Institutions generally don't want to do that. They'll do diversity if it just seems like oh it's something that everybody agrees with and nobody can be uh, against. But uh, the politicization of the concept, you know the concept. I think has been, you know, something that's happened the last few years. And I think it's a positive development.
0: Positive development in that there there's pushback to it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because if it's, if it's apolitical, if everyone just likes diversity and it's just seen as like, you know, baseball, apple pie, you know, um, then it's, it's nothing's going to nobody's going to push back on it. There's going to be corporations aren't going to think twice. Right. It's like recycling or something. Right. Recycling isn't really seen as that ideological. I mean, leftists like recycling more, but it's really not. So like a corporation doesn't worry about backlash if it has a recycling program. If someone activist demands recycle, you know, they'll, they'll at least pay it lip service. And all government institutions were doing this, and all corporations were doing this as far as diversity goes. And you know now they have to they have to think about it a bit. I mean, the, there's hard pressure coming. I mean, from uh, like what the is doing in Florida, what I just mentioned, uh, they're doing in Texas. Uh, These state legislatures are really going after this stuff. Next time we have a Republican president, you know, there'll be stuff that they could do at the federal level. And yeah, the politicization of the concept, I mean, is the first step towards towards changing things.
0: It is interesting. I, I remember I was. Finding notes that I was preparing for an interview in like 2016, 2017, and one of the, it was a tech interview, and one of the questions was, you know, um, the host would ask it to everybody, and every guest would more or less give the same answer. But it was like, "What do you? What needs to change in tech?" And and the, the answer that I wrote was, "We just need more diversity." Uh, you know, <laughs> and it's just I just say that to say that it was so second nature, uh, like it was so unanimous, so obvious that it was both the morally right thing to do and that it was just organizations would do better uh they would just like be more successful and so how as, as a student of this how, how did this idea become so ingrained like unanimously when it's it's not uh you know it wasn't like decades prior like how, how did it how did that happen well I mean so my book really traces this
1: history closely so you know it's, it's available for pre-order now unfortunately it's not going to be out until September uh but the um yeah I mean there was a general progression in that it started off just you know they used to have affirmative action compliance offices they used to have you know just straight up you know we're going to do not if not quotas then you know trying to outreach to minority groups it was seen as you know corporations and government had a uh, obligation to help black americans or they tried to do something for women uh it changed to a diversity rationale uh just with the baki decision in the 1970s and basically it was just like four Liberal justices said, okay, with quotas. Four conservative justices said, uh, you know, no affirmative action. And then just one in the middle said, you know, no quotas, no, uh, you know, uh, no making up for the past as a justification. But if an organization wants to use diversity as a justification to, you know, do this, you know, have this, you know, feel good sort of concept and make the institution better, that could be acceptable, right? And so the the concept of diversity only really takes off uh, then. And diversity could mean anything, right? Like in practice, what diversity means. Anytime there's diversity, what they care about is they want more blacks and they want more women, primarily, right? There's you know Hispanics, LGBT, a little, a little bit of that, but that's basically what it is. But if you just if you don't think about it, if you don't like know the specifics of what exactly is going on, diversity sounds like oh conservatives are you're underrepresented, get more conservatives. Oh farmers from you know uh, farmers and ranchers from Wyoming, like let's have that. And like you think, you know, veterans, like they, they're sometimes brought into this. And so, like if you think, you know, if you just hear diversity, you're you're like, oh, that's not like taking away from some people or giving to others. Um, that's not. You know, it's not even a culture war thing. There's conservative groups that are underrepresented and liberal groups, but that's not how it works. I mean, then we know from the affirmative action cases that go to the courts, and you know, the, the universities have to hand over all their documents. All they're doing is giving massive benefits to blacks and then second most, you know, to Hispanics and Native Americans, and just getting demographic balancing. That's all it is. It's just old style affirmative action, but they've called it they've called it something else. You know, it, it, this this worked really. I mean, the, the, like 10, 15 years ago, like even conservative politicians didn't say like. Diversity was bad. It was just like a thing. Oh, you, you're you into diversity. Don't be, you know, don't be mean. And you know, what, what changed it, it? Partly I think it was, you know. Trump came along. Uh, the you know the left sort of became more unhinged. I think you know the the diversity, like the a lot of the crazy stuff people were seeing being said, in, like corporations and stuff. They could see that they were coming out of you know DEI bureaucrats and at the universities. So I think people really you know these people sort of overreached. And people looked at what these people were doing. And then part of it was you know people like me and you know Caldwell did this with uh, his civil rights book too, uh, talking about you know making the connection between sort of law and what's what's been going on. Because if you know the history, I mean the connection between the first. Affirmative action and affirmative action always been a dirty word on the right. I mean, then, they you know, and then people uh, rebranded as diversity. You know, just may, if you if you know about the historical connection there, then you know you're not fooled. It's, it's it's something that's you know very easy to see. So yeah, I think people, I think just sort of the dynamics of the polarization of our politics, these people sort of getting crazier and overreaching, and then people just going out there and making the argument has really changed things.
0: To add on to the overreaching point. When did equity get bundled with di- Like, I, I understand diversity and inclusion, like let's reach out to people who haven't been historically, you know, included and thus the, you could make the case that, Hey, there's this latent talent that you want to include in your organization. And, and it's like an arbitrage opportunity, but then like the term equity doesn't feel like it, like, like, what is that doing there?
1: Yeah. I, I yeah, the history of equity is, yeah, it's strange. I, when do you, like, I don't remember this like popping up, I, you know, I want to say around 2016, 2017, you know, what, what you learn is like these, you know, human resources uh, is sort of like an industry and they have their own trade journals and they have their own conferences and this stuff, you know, sort of all has like an underpinning in law, but these people sort of go in their own directions, right? Like they have, you know, different sort of intellectual currents and like, you know, practices and things that catch on. So I, you know, I don't know about the term equity specifically, but at some point, you know, somebody said equity and it sounded good and they all started saying that.
0: You, you, you write in your book. Uh, the focus of, on woke capital as a cause rather than the symptom of what has gone wrong in our culture reveals a lack of knowledge about the extent to which government has put its thumb on the scale. W- what are the biggest ways in which government has, has put its thumb on the scale? And Because I think the thing you're saying is, hey, people often say, hey, wokeness is a religion. But what, what you're saying is actually that, you know, religions stand the test of time. Th- this quote unquote religion hasn't been tested and in fact has been, you know, subsidized or enforced by law. And so which which laws why, why, and you unpack in your book but why don't you give a preview
1: uh so yeah i mean there are a few here so first of all i mean the civil rights act most people think it's just something that discri- you know banned discrimination based on race uh it did do that but basically it's been interpreted uh to require a disparate impact standard so if i give you know the canonical case is the iq test this was the subject of a, a supreme court case and whites do much better on it than blacks to so take you know the paradigm very very example people are uh we always worried about um, the burden, you know, the burden of proof shifts on the employer to prove that you know this was necessary, that there wasn't something else he could have done, right? And so, the, I, and it's not just IQ tests, but basically the, the disparate impact standard is very broad. If a police uh, force wants to have, um, you know, uh, strength or height standards, well, I mean, you have to think about, you know, women, you have to think about whether, you know, a lot of women are not going to be able to meet that standard, which they often, they often are not. And so basically everything an employer do, and it applies not just to hiring, but firing promotions is potentially um, subject to a, you know, disparate impact lawsuit for the Title Seven of the Civil Rights
0: Act. Hey, everyone, Eric here. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now.
1: Um, When Elon Musk uh, fired a bunch of people um, on uh, Twitter early on, there was an article in some uh, newspaper, New York Times or Washington Post or something, where they said, you know, they reported that from within Elon's, ca- Elon's camp or within Twitter, somebody said, you look over the list to make sure, you know, they weren't having a disparate impact of the engineers who fired, right? Were Too many of them, you know, women or, or minorities. And apparently, you know, Musk, to his credit, just brushed them off, right? There's, this, there's you know, discretion here. And and actually, there is a there is a lawsuit. I don't know what happened to it, but there was, uh, shortly later, uh, announced a lawsuit over these firings. So, you know, Elon Musk can tell them to, you know, to, to buzz off. But, you know, most uh, employers, you know, are not, at this applies to, you know, the Civil Rights Act covers, you know, every basically every employer, I think 15 or more uh, employees. So anything, anything of substantial size, you know, if you have one or two employees, it doesn't apply to you. But for, for uh, most employees, of any substantial size, uh, they do have to deal with this stuff. So th- there's a disparate act standard. There's massive um, affirmative action within government, uh, too. If you look at the demographics of, you know, the go- federal government, I mean, minorities do very, very well, particularly blacks. I don't know if other minorities even do that well. Um, but there's, you know, massive affirmative action in higher they got rid of the civil service examination um, in the uh, uh, in the late 1970s, um, in the early 1980s, because it had a disparate impact. They never replaced it. Basically, government now hires just you know sort of sort of at random, and you can't fire them. Um, you know, there's there's a bit about that in my book too. Uh, so you have that. Um, you have um, the government uh, affirmative action, and government contracting. If you're a government contractor, not a small group, uh, government contractors. Uh, include about twenty-five. You know, they hire about twenty-five percent of the American workforce. So a quarter of the workforce, you're required to have um, affirmative action, and they spell out exactly what that means. Divide by races, look for, uh, you know, underrepresentation. Uh, try to correct those underrepresentation. But they, you know, has, has grabbed onto this and said he's going to do something about this. You know, his first day in office. Uh, So there's another one. And then you have, you know, harassment law, too. So people who are worried about free speech, you know, your your employer, it's not just the employer that can discriminate. Other employees can uh, discriminate. And, you know, the discrimination can be things like making the wrong jokes or anything that's called racial harassment. Uh, There's a professor named uh, Eugene Wallach at UCLA. Who points out that the standard says isolated cases cannot be, you know, a uh, a reason for a lawsuit can't create a hostile work environment, but basically an employer just has no discretion other than uh, to basically ban anything that might offend anybody because you can't control every, you know, employee, right? So it's like you can't tell an employee, you know, you can make jokes as long as everyone else is not making jokes. That's not a that's not a reasonable standard. So the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, uh, based on this harassment standard, uh, comes in and says. Um, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're in any doubt, leave it outside the office. I mean, people are so like, oh, this threat to free speech is new. Like, no, I mean, corporate HR product of government regulation um, has been there for a very long time. Now they're shutting down, you know, speakers at universities. But like, you know, like you just as a small businessman just wants to have a business and have whatever culture you want have your friends and you know make jokes or whatever uh that's basically you know that's basically illegal and so yeah you have the disparate back or affirmative action contracting uh harassment law there's there's tons of others i mean I, I highlight these as the main ones i mean there's you know uh uh small business loans that go to uh, uh certain that are set asides for certain minority groups um, there's, you know, sometimes direct pressure, like you know, the insurance industry will go testify to Congress, and they'll want something done, and then Democratic law- lawmakers will start grilling them on why don't they have enough, you know, blacks in positions of leadership or power, right? It's just sort of this informal sort of nudge to, you know, to get them move them in the right in the right direction before they can get something. Uh, so this is this is everywhere, and if for people who. You know, I wrote this book, and I, I thought about this because, like, you know, I'm concerned about these things like uh, like a lot of other people are. and I was just frustrated in how little sort of understanding that there was that it's just a religion. like everyone just decided to to do this um, with you know, no reason they all just started talking the same way, like a bunch of zombies, like you know, we don't have a law, like we don't have governments, like we don't have incentives. And these are the things that you know, these are the things to worry about. these are the things that you can actually change through politics. So I encourage people to try to
0: do that. Because one piece you also had is is wokeness is a paper tiger, uh, which is basically saying, hey, it hasn't been stress tested. How durable is diversity as as a concept? And you know, some people will bring the critique, like they'll critique um, kind of what R- Christopher Rufo is doing in um, with critical race theory or or some of the the you know other stuff, and they'll say, hey, you could change the law, but if you don't change kind of hearts and minds, like they're st- they're gonna do the same thing and just call it a new name. One, I'm curious if you're a sympathetic with that critique of the Rufo school and and two, like, why wouldn't that apply here? Like diversity, at least in my industry tech, it seems pretty deep rooted.
1: Yeah, I mean, so you know, there's a couple of things going on here. So I actually wrote a, a piece, um, not critiquing the Rufo approach. I think it's useful, and I think Rufo does ag- agree with this. But yeah, I do think that the you know like, like the kind of things that you're teaching in public schools. I mean, the fact that those people thought it was a good idea to teach them in the first place is the problem. So you know, get rid of critical race theory; they'll call it you know uh, social studies or or, or whatever. Um, and that's why I'm a big I'm a big uh, believer in school choice. I mean, I believe it I believe in markets. Um, I believe that you know the markets will generally reflect what people's preferences are, what people are comfortable with. I think competence is a thing. So yeah, the school issue, you know, I, I believe in you know, I believe in giving the choice to parents. The parents cannot possibly. Private institutions are more responsive than public institutions are, of course, uh, because you know you can take your money, you could go elsewhere. Parents are not as liberal as you know labor, uh, you know organized labor or these other uh you know, the sort of education uh. Uh, establishment education industries education schools. I mean, just a lot of crazy things that people don't have to listen to. That right, if they don't want to, if they don't have governments, if they don't have government schools, or they have choices uh, for educating their children outside of government schools. And then you know, and, and so like I, I th- you know, I think a good example here is um, uh, I've been talking to people about this a little bit about about Hollywood movies. You know, Hollywood movies are subject to a to a market test, right? And they're not really as woke as, say, the kind of you know the you know the academic departments or sort of you know federal bureaucracies. Why? Because people want to see you know action heroes. They want to see pretty, you know, they want to see attractive people. I mean, they want to see you know you know heroes overcoming you know obstacles. They have they want to see normal human morality reflected. You know, they don't want the the morality of you know the San Francisco's DA office sort of. You know, nobody's going to watch that story because that doesn't appeal to human nature. Right. And so, yeah, I think, I think that, you know, markets reflect choice and they reflect uh, human nature. And I mean, and, you know, look we'll, at we'll there. I mean, people could point to uh, in the school context, people have pointed to like sometimes the craziest private uh, schools tend to be private schools. So these like Westlake, Harvard here in L.A., there's been like Barry Weiss, I think, has read. About these things and the right, but if you actually look at the majority of private schools, the majority are either Catholic or conservative Christian schools. We focus on these very elite uh, institutions, and you know they're important. They have a lot of influence. Uh, but the majority of uh, kids in private schools are going to schools that are, you know, much more conservative uh, than me, than the public schools are. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's a lesson to, to be taken from there. And I think, you know, you're going to, you're going to, the wokes aren't going to, you know, they're going to disappear. I mean, this is just, this is a real thing that a lot of people believe in. Um, the question is just like, are they able to force their views on the rest of society and, you know, changing the law, I think hopefully would prevent that.
0: Yeah. And and there's a question of just like, they won't disappear. Right now, they have like total monopoly, more or less, or, or or over you know, you know, big companies. And the question is, you know, how much diversity, <laughs> you know, to use it in a different way, would then be introduced. At, like a related idea is this. You know, there's this phrase like "go woke, go broke." And I, I, it would be interesting to see like a study of like you know Nike with Colin Kaepernick and like Bud Light with you know the thing that Dylan or whatever. Like all of these companies who made these like decisions, and actually like what is the like, how did it affect their bottom line?
1: I've seen. I mean, I've seen anecdotes, and I've seen you know, conservatives will say it works, and then liberals will say, oh, it's you know, it didn't work. I, I've heard that the I've heard that the Bud Budweiser stuff. I mean, uh, as we're recording, I heard that it really did. There really was like a like one of those big falls that like can't be explained just by uh, thing. I don't. know, I haven't really looked into it, but it seems like the Budweiser things. Otherwise, like maybe Disney will go down, but like people say, oh, that might just be a normal variation in the stock. It's very it's very hard to prove. But I've heard that Budweiser actually. A lot, so you could tell if Dylan Mulvaney is different. That's actually that's actually a pretty hilarious. Uh, if that was like if that was the line that you know once you cross that that's it. finally the you know the masses rose up. You know, I you know, this goes back to my other article. I mean, the conservatives just don't don't care as much. I mean, the, you know they don't live their lives according to you know politics. They're you know looking for the best deal or whatever. I mean, just the fact that like you know I just wrote this an article about, uh, on Substack about like how Substack is you know the difference. Uh, in Substack being a subscription based model. While Twitter is an ad-based model, and I analogize that to conservative and liberal media. Like liberal media is a subscription-based model because they have people who will pay for it. I mean, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, these are you know, these are institutions you pay for. Uh, conservative websites are overwhelmingly ad-based, and they look—you know—they look terrible. They're just—you know—tracking you and you know trying to give you personalized uh, ads. And so, yeah, this is, you know, this is sort of, uh, you know, inevitably, you know, people who care more are going to influence society. I mean, like people like, like conservatives seem to think sometimes that like, because they're, you know, approximately half of the population, they have like, they should have half of the cultural, like they should just get like a, they should just get affirmative action. They should just get like, you know, credit for their numbers and just like, okay, corporate board, like we're going to represent you 50%, like, and then they could just go home and just like watch TV like, no, like, like the world doesn't work like that. Like at some point you do have to take, uh, uh, responsibility um, for the for the way society has turned out and you know i try to speak up for my beliefs and you know you, you do too and a lot of other people we don't do but the fact that there's a lot more idealistic liberals um, who believe
0: in something and are willing to sacrifice for it it's just i think a fact of our world vivek actually was talking about doing something like a affirmative action for conservatives you think that's a bad idea, right? It's just best to roll back the whole the whole thing? Yeah,
1: or? I mean, I think Vivek, has, I think he has something clever where he says, um, if you do DEI for other things, you have to do it for conservatives too. Um, you know, I think it's too complicated and like a little bit too clever. I mean, I think it's just best to, to roll that stuff back. Yeah, I mean, like, You know, the idea that you're going to make political discrimination like a protected class. First of all, that didn't work for James Damore. James Damore tried to sue on this basis at Google and they just said, well, you violated the civil rights against women. You made women feel unsafe. So, you know, it doesn't count. This is not a legitimate political view that you can sue based on, you know, anti-discrimination grounds. Uh, But like, you know, it's like we need less lawyer, fewer lawyers and fewer bureaucrats running our lives. No, less bureaucrats, you know, less lawyers, fewer lawyers, uh, more markets and more individual choice is the way I'd go.
0: Zooming out a bit before getting into more liberal conservative stuff, when did um, the brain drain happen in the sort of conservative part? Like, when did all Ivy League students or or more talented people just become more and more liberal? Like, how how did that evolve?
1: Yeah, I think if you go back to, like, the 50s and 60s, I mean, if you're talking about the, you know, the uh, most elite, uh, you know, they were... um, that there's a good book on this um, called "The Rise of the Conservative Legal Movement," and so like the American, um, you know, the, like the American Bar Association, like in like the '40s and '50s, was sort of a force for conservatism, and like you know, lawyers were considered, you know, elite lawyers were sort of consider- were considered uh, were more likely to be conservative, and I this this book. Um, uh actually tr- traces it to you know there's a connection where sort of more of the elite uh with you know the growth of government under uh, uh roosevelt and then johnson basically government became a big funder of sort of intellectual work and and like you know legal uh you know sort of uh, legal work so like you know uh you know public defenders became became a thing but just like you know government sub- indirectly subsidizing um you know public interest groups and it sort of traces it to it sort of traces the sort of leftward shift of all like elites. I'm talking about you know not like half the population, but I'm talking about like you know sort of the the bureaucratic uh you know bureaucratic class lawyers, elite college students, and so forth. If you just look at like college students, you know, or or, or college graduates, I mean, very recently uh, Mitt Romney won college educated whites. I mean, this was only 2012. Uh, right. Um, and so, you know, they weren't really, you know, split up. It was really the Trump era. I mean, the Democrats for a while had like the elite of the elite. Um, but, you know, the like the t- complete brain drain uh, from the conservative movement just uh, started after Romney's loss. And I think it's gotten worse over time.
0: It's interesting because Vivek, in theory, could represent like a smart right wing um, you know, candidate. And yet he seems to be trying to appeal to that same base or something, like taking a very different strategy than Mitt Romney, I guess, took. Like, is that just what you have to do to win the right or like how do we have a Mitt Romney or someone of that kind of like Romney had to like, you know, go kiss Trump's
1: ring. You remember this uh, Trump, like there was, you know, polls at the time showing that if Trump ran in 2012, he would be like, well, he would be the leader. Um, so people were really into Trump or, you know, Republicans were really into Trump already back then. And Romney got Trump's endorsement. You know, you know, Romney deep down, you know, all hate must have always hated Trump. Uh, but you know, the fact that Romney, you know, went out there and still, you know, people knew that wasn't him. Right. He still had to like do these things. He had to still be sort of as, you know, and and, and and like there's two different things you could think about about what the base wants. There's like part of the base are just, like activists and they want most conservative, you know, the most conservative uh, person as possible. And that, you know, that's at least has some intellectual, that could hurt in a general election, but at least has some like intellectual basis, right? And there's just a part of the base that just likes, you know, the fighting and like the rudeness and the crassness and, you know, doesn't trust anyone who's too smart or, you know, too accomplished. And, you know, that's part of it too. And I think that latter, you know, I think like 12 years ago, I think when uh, when Romney was running, you know, 11 years ago, I think that, you know, I think that it was like, The ideological people, the Tea Partiers. I mean, this was what the Tea Party movement about. It was like a serious ideological movement. I mean, you know, it had beliefs. It it wanted the primary. When it wanted to primary someone, it was because um, it was because they voted the wrong way. They wanted too much government spending. Now, you know, there's primaries in Republican Party. They're just over. Do you worship Trump enough? Right? Do you think the 2020 election was stolen? It's really not about uh, not about the issues in that way. I think this. So it was a gradual. It was a you know it was a gradual process. I think it probably started. That you know I think I'm a little bit of a tech determinist uh, on these things. The the rise of um, uh, AM radio. Uh, there was the uh, you know Rush Limbaugh in the 19, in the nineteen nineties and people like that. Uh, Gingrich you know sort of wrote w- that wave wave in nineteen ninety four and then Fox News comes out. um just a few years later uh, in the late nineteen nineties and then you have okay TV and radio like and then and then conservative just conservatives are just you know very good at producing info infotainment and infotainment is not you know it's, it's it can be used for issues it can be used to like you know make sure someone is uh, uh ideologically you know staying close to what the base wants but you know it's become over time more personality based so this was like you know the the obsession hate the obsessive hatred about bill clinton i mean the the going trying to get him for the uh monica lewinsky stuff i mean that's that wouldn't have happened in the 1980s and it wasn't because of his ideology i mean clinton was a you know a democratic president but relatively moderate and they just hated him like you know just like you know he was like you know the you know he was the devil incarnate and like why was that i mean i think it was just sort of this uh this dynamic of sort of talk radio and then cable news coming along and sort of you know deranging the right and then you had like nine 11 and then for a little while you know conservatives sort of rode that wave but you know then like you know this became much more in the culture like oh you know the terrorists are going to get us you know the the, you know al-qaeda the whole lab this was this was like sort of uh you know this gave conservatives a little bit of an advantage um but it was also sort of it was leading them in the direction of just you know tv watchers dominating everything and then like obama comes along and it's it's funny because it's, so there's just like uh, there's like this you know this uh, subterian uh, racism that's like there. It's like you know, the birth certificate thing, but like it can't say that it's racism. It's just like this sort of, this sort of stupid you know birth certificate thing. Trump rides that, of course. Um, the Tea Party with the ideological stuff comes in and then Romney you know the Romney wins he has to appeal to these people but he still met Romney And then in 2016 sort of just like you know the the TV watchers and the you know the cable news people that just ta- that just takes over because Trump is one of them I mean Trump is a better you know uh, would be a better talk show host was a more successful talk show host than any of these guys were and sort of the party and sort of conservative media and what it was just just merged at
0: that point. I assume you you'd say that you know you can't win an election or you can't have like durable power without having like some high IQ you know, mind share. So, if you were in charge of sort of, you know, Republican strategy over the next like decade, I would assume that would be part of your goals is to uh, regain some of that mind share. Is, is that true? And if so, how-, how would you go about doing that? Yeah, I think so
1: much of it is is a style as much as it's substance. I mean, the Trump, it's not his, you know, Trump was per- perceived in the uh, among voters as like the most moderate Republican, you know, uh, candidate, right? He was seen, you know, the, I think he governed with pretty conservative direction. But in 2016, you know, he talked about, you know, protecting entitlements. He still talks about that. Um, you know, he talked about, you know, trade, you know, the trade, these sort of left-wing positions. And so it wasn't like Trump was so conservative. He made everyone come out to be liberal. It was just that Trump is, you know, Trump is Trump. He's, you know, he's he he has gold toilets and, you know, he has, you know, supermodel wives he trades in every few years and he loves McDonald's and, you know, he's rude to people and he's racist. I mean, uh, this just, you know, this just drove, you know, liberals and, uh, you know, people who like to see themselves as part of polite society that drove them uh, up the wall. Um and so it's not, you know, I think the abortion issue is actually unique. I, you know, I think uh, that one is actually the the substance of the issue matters a lot. That I've written about that. Uh, but for most most things, I think it's more. It, it would be more a stylistic makeover. Just you know, if you wanted to put me in charge and you know, how to focus to win. It would be more a stylistic ma- uh, makeover than a substance one. Just get, you know, generic white man in business suit. Give him the most conservative, just get a nice smile. Give him the most, you know, give him the most conservative positions. And he would do better than, you know, he would have won a lot of those Senate races in, 2020, in 2022, right? He, you know, the generic white white male businessman could have won in Arizona, uh, could have won in Georgia, uh, could have potentially won in New Hampshire. But they, they motivated these, you know, uh, much more flawed candidates. And
0: that was a problem. And then the flaws are, you know, the focus on the stop the steal, which is stupid. And then also pro pro life, which is just as you've written about.
1: Well, yeah, but it's it's not even those, even if they had opposite position on those things like Herschel, I mean, Herschel Walker is like illiterate. I mean, it it doesn't matter what it's, I mean, people can see that this man has problems. I mean, this man hears voices. He has all these, you know, baby mamas that he pulls guns on. I mean, it's just, you know, you know, this is, this is beyond issues, right? It didn't
0: stop John Fetterman.
1: Yeah, I mean, Federer, I mean, Federer wins. Oz is interesting. I was actually thought I thought Oz came across as not that bad, but somehow, you know, it it didn't work. Um, But I think, yeah, Blake Masters, I think people, you know, I think he's he appeals to uh, sort of uh, a lot of intellectual right wingers. I don't think there's any evidence that, you know, what he was, uh, you know, what he was arguing for appeal to the uh, uh, to the broader electorate. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, New Hampshire, I mean, New Hampshire too. I mean, uh, yeah, I, forg- I forgot, I forget his name, but this guy was another one into, you know, the, uh, the election, the election stuff. Yeah. The election stuff doesn't help. I mean, the, the pro-life stuff doesn't help and the election stuff, uh, doesn't help. But a lot of these people just were sort of you know, there's a good analysis uh there was some good analysis of 538 showed that the, the, like a good predictor of winning elections is having held previous office so if politicians who have, so a lot of these people were first time candidates, right Masters was Herschel uh, Herschel Walker's was well Dr Oz was and you know somebody who's like somebody with that background is much less likely to win an election than someone who's been like the leader of this uh, state Senate right these are the people that like McConnell would like to uh, would like to nominate, and I don't know why. Like there must be some skill in politician. At least those people have proven that they've uh, that they have those skills, whatever those skills are. Like it's not like me or you can sit here and say, "Oh, Blake Masters is a good candidate, and this guy is not a good candidate." You know, we and you are not the average voter. I mean, mo- you know, most people who talk about politics are not the average voter. We're just going and you know, get off of our instincts. Um So I think you have to sort of you sort of have to. Uh, uh, be be uh, bit humble here, and just sort of know that stylistically, what you think might sell is not necessarily
0: going to sell, and you should probably be looking at people's tracker. Yeah, but there's a question if if sort of the era of Trump and just the era of the internet um, and how people build audiences can ch- changes the game in the sense of like I I know this is kind of even silly to mention, but if, if Mr. Beast was like, <laughs> you know, 12 years older and had the same following, you know, could he like rally people to vote for him? Or is it, like, could celebrities actually win? Like, I wondered about that. So yeah. I think on the right,
1: there was an opening for it just because it's, it became like a movement about personalities in the media it was sort of uh it was like that. Yeah. Like The Rock or Oprah or I don't know, one of the, yeah, I'm surprised none of them gave it a shot. Dr. Oz sort of did and it didn't work out great. I mean, he was, you know, he's not at Oprah level, but he's a, you know, he's a pretty famous celebrity. Uh, he tried, he won the nomination and then he lost the, uh, the general election. Uh, Howard Schultz, you know, tried tried uh, dipped his toe in the waters, you know, saw it wasn't going to work, and then and then backed off. Yeah, I've always wondered, um, like, why Mark Cuban, you know, maybe doesn't try it. Um, you know, a, a, a Steyer tried it, didn't, but he's not. Nobody knows who he knew, knew who he was before he ran for president, even though he was very wealthy. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wonder the extent to which just being a celebrity. Um, is enough. Uh, you know, not everyone's going to be Trump, but yeah,
0: like Oprah or The Rock, like I would be fascinated to what happened if they ran out of the Democratic Party.
1: I, I genuinely don't know.
0: Totally. If you were advising Vivek's campaign, besides telling him to be pro-choice um, and you know, center women's voices and be a good ally, <laughs> what uh, what what other advice would you give to him?
1: he's doing a great job. I mean, he's, you know, so you see the polls, he was always at zero. Now he's always at one or two. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's something, right? He's, he's, he's getting, he's, you know, he's at the same level as like Mike Pompeo, basically. And like Mike Pompeo was like a congressman and secretary of state. No one heard about the bank until, you know, a month or two ago, you know, he's doing, he's doing well. I mean, you know, he's got an uphill climb, but he's doing an excellent job of like Talking about this wokeness stuff, I, I, I had an article specifically about Vivek you know, selling a positive culture war message. I think he's. I think a lot of these guys are extremely negative. I think you know, like Josh Howley, I think is a good example of this. I you know, I just look at it, it's just it's just pure resentment. I mean, it's just like these elites, they're doing this to you, they're doing that to you. I you know, they're they're hurting the working man. I don't see any sort of positive vision. So Vivek goes out there, he says, you know, diversity actually hurts merit. I mean, he's talking about you know, he's not just trying to protect people from these you know big scary elites. He's giving people a positive message that is in the uh, context of the American tradition um, and so I think he's doing I think he's doing a great job there and you know the production value I mean the podcast that came out with me the other day I was I was I was surprised I mean he's really invested in these things and so I think he's Cleared like the first hurdle to make a difference, which is like get your name out there and be talked about. I just saw he was uh, with uh, he was talking to Riley Gaines. So every you know, everything this Riley Gaines, this woman is like getting canceled at the thing, and he's just having a podcast with her the next day. I mean Vivek doesn't Vivek doesn't sleep, and so the next you know the next step is just sort of you know doing the retail politics thing well in uh, New Hampshire and Iowa.
0: I'm curious if he if he if he's taking the right issue like the climate stuff, just the stuff that he's taking on are these like popular. You know, does he have popular support for them?
1: Yeah. And the Republican primaries, I don't know if like climate is the big one. I mean, that seems to be a a genuine, uh, uh, that seems to be genuine belief from the bank. But the wokeness thing, that's driving the party. I mean, Nikki Haley, if you watch Nikki Haley's um, announcement video, you think, oh, Nikki Haley is Mrs. Moderate, uh, you know, trying to be the establishment. All she's talking about is woke. I mean, she's really just going on about how terrible woke is. She says it's like you know, at some point she says it's like the biggest threat to our country. And she has other disagreements with, you know, the, the populace. But basically, like everyone understands that like anti-wokeness is sort of where the Republican uh, base is. That's what's motivating them and the intellectuals, too. Uh, so he's, he's seizing on that. And I think there's a good reason. And then, you know, he's doing the, you know, day to day things that people, oh they you know, they care about standing up for, you know, Trump's integrity you know, after the Alvin Bragg, you know, arrests him. Uh, you know, they care about the trans in sports. The Vegas is going further and talking about this trans stuff than a lot of people are. I, I think it's I think it's um, I think he does it in a right way. I mean, I, I think he's he does it in a way where it's like he takes the extreme position. But there is a there, you know, a lot of this stuff is like you can't. You can't teach. You can't just say, do this or that. It's like the kind of person you are. Like Vivek is a striver, optimistic, successful immigrant, right? He's not an angry guy. He's not an angry guy from the middle of nowhere who feels the, the world has left him behind. Or like, so a lot of these, I'll make these people seem like Lower level elites, like they're elites, they went to like good schools, but they're like a little bit more resentful of the liberals, were a little bit more successful than them. That's not the vague either, right? The I think his personality sort of comes through. So he's able to talk about these issues, sort of hit what the base is like what the base likes, uh, but at the same time not having a lot of the pitfalls that a lot of Republican politicians have. So I don't have tons of advice for him. I think he's I think
0: he's doing a great job given where he started from. You you've written about how kind of anti-woke on its own is is a losing position. You know, it's 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 not positive enough. And people don't want to be associated with losing, you know, losing visions, uh, loser with losers in general. And and so I'm curious what you think like a positive vision could could look like that that could have a constituency. You know, Vivek is talking about merit and excellence, and while that's attractive to you know perhaps some of us and some of our peers, like I wonder if that has enough kind of like uh, you know concreteness for you know the average person as opposed to someone who's having a positive vision of like you know two parent household, like you know just. More, like uh you know or even Blake's uh blake masters saying like you know one income per householders I i don't know something that's like more rooted to conservative um values how do you how do you think about like lifestyle even i mean
1: well i mean if you want i mean the traditionalist lifestyle I mean, you'll be a minority party i mean the most majority of americans don't 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 want that i mean they maybe they would like the option of one parent working home a lot of people already do, do that um but, you know people aren't you know there's not a big clamor to stop women from working out there in the public people generally like like money and like having two income households I don't I don't think as we as a country I don't think that we are a big diverse country and I don't think there's much that unites us but merit and you know colorblindness I still think that's pretty that's pretty strong I mean I think people you know tend to believe that I mean I think polls uh, 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 bear this out I think you know how affirmative action does poorly at the ballot box uh, bear this bears this out. Um, so I think, yeah, merit—the best people are gonna get where they are, and like maybe the combined with the messages like this is part of our collective identity. This is what America makes America great. We're not some you know country that privileges some caste or some racial or ethnic group. Uh, you know, we let the we, we let people compete and let, we let the uh, chips fall where they may. I think that the, a lot of the China anti-China stuff, the Vegas really you know, really really into this um, into this messaging, and as are uh, most Republicans these days. I'm not a big fan of it on policy grounds I, I think it's usually leads to a lot of silly suggestions um, but you know if to the extent that people need something like oh we'll be mer- you know we'll be meritocratic and we'll have a successful free society and that will be you know the kind of communist Chinese who are coming with us with their with their balloons which you know I'm not, I'm not particularly scared of but uh, you know to the extent people do need something I think maybe you know communist China as a punching bag might work
0: you you, you mentioned um, you know you're a believer in markets and I do wonder if we were able to repeal, and I, I think you, you said that, you know, a, a writ, wrote about how a president could actually, you know, issue an executive order or repeal an executive order that could have a major impact. We'll get into that in a bit. But let, let's say that some of the laws that were sort of tilting the playing field were totally repealed. I, I wonder if markets would show that just diversity is a kind of an emergent strategy for at least, you know, for over half the population to rise up in their careers and they really care about their careers. And um, well, married and excellent, like seem nice. If the opposite means that they will have a better career, like wouldn't they prefer that? Like, isn't there something structural structural advantage to, you know, giving more than fifty percent of the population like better jobs? Well, I mean, it's
1: uh, if you're gonna pre- give some groups preferences, I mean, that's uh, inherently a zero sum game, right? So every single person who you think is gonna get ahead through through quotas has a person who's gonna lose out. And generally, you know, the people don't want to admit that they get ahead through through acronyms. So no, I, you know, I don't I don't think so. I think this is I think the, you know, the idea. I think just just to try it as an experiment. Like talk to someone who's not very familiar with American politics or someone who doesn't pay attention to American politics, and just bring up the story that oh you know, the, the, what the equity with the people in Jack, Winter do are like, they're getting rid of algebra class, you know, because some group doesn't perform as well as the other, like, just try that on like an immigrant, someone with no experience in the American culture. It sounds absurd because it is absurd. I mean, and so a lot of this stuff is absurd and particularly in the American context when like, you know, we're sort of uh, the society, which doesn't have, you know, a common, you know, uh ethnic background or doesn't have, you know, a sort of a, you know, a state church or anything like that. It's just, you know, inherently appeals to people. And it's, it's, it's part of the American idea. I mean, even the, you know, even the equity people. I mean, they they don't say, you know, we should just get our fair share because we're, you know, we're uh, uh, we're we're black and we're twelve percent of the population, and that's just that's just fair. I mean, they try to make some argument like it's going to help everybody, and it's actually it is the real fairness because racism is holding people back. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do think. I mean, I do think this is I do think this is a winning message, and I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think the affirmative action. I think it has to sort of operate in the background. It's just too inconsistent with.
0: You know, to, to explicitly argue for it is just too inconsistent with other values people hold. Some people who were a fan of what Trump was kind of going for actually wanted Biden to win because they, in, in Trump, they saw someone who helped his enemies and hurt his friends. Um, like the New York Times, ACLU got so much bigger and all these organizations just got so much bigger and, and there was, because he, he served as a boogeyman. And um, and it's, it's basically this implication is like, unless you have a way to win, I, you know, gain power, all caps, like don't even fight. My sense is you disagree with that.
1: <laughs> it's pretty silly. I mean, because we have a you know, again, we're in we're in April and you know, we're mid-April. A judge just you know took the just had a radical decision to Texas that took the morning after you know the after pill that's been on the uh, that's been for 23 years uh, been used by you know women first time in history basically a uh, a judge has um, you know overruled the FDA and said something is not you know safe and has to be taken off the market. Um, and so, you know, that's not that's not the decision I would have made. It's not something I'm happy with. But like, you know, like winning actually ends up winning because you know you appoint the judges. I mean, we're we're really a judgeocracy where like, you know, Trump had one term. He got to appoint three justices. Bush had uh, Bush and uh, Obama. Uh, had two ter- had two terms each and were only able to appoint two presidents each so trump happened to be there when you know ginsburg died i mean ginsburg died at the right time to give him the you know the third uh you know his third supreme court nominee and they filled up the, the federal judiciary too uh so uh, you know the judiciary is really really important i, I do believe I, i've written about this too that trump did cause a backlash um and maybe hurt conservatism in the long run but look i mean it's you know, you, it's the elections are the main game. And like the reaction to the election is also important. But don't mistake that for like the actual power and the actual ability to appoint people and do things in the world.
0: All I can say in, in my very limited field, and maybe this is just a, you know, casualty and it's it's a small price to pay. But in, in in technology, in terms of like the state of activism, like it got so much worse when Trump was in office. And right when he got out, things just got way better because before, if you were pushing back against any sort of left excess, they would say, Oh, you support Trump, you're a bad person. Like you have to let this happen or whatever. And and after that, there was just no boogeyman. And some people wonder if, if Dobbs was actually like a peric victory where it creates this boogeyman again, where sure you win on that issue, and, and for those people they they care about that. Um I, I disagree with it. Um, but like, does it cement left power elsewhere by creating this boogeyman? And thus you should like Pick and choose which victories you you want to have, and make sure that they're like real, substantive, enduring victories for your party.
1: Depends on you know your priority list. The people who think abortion, stopping abortion, is the main issue will say no. I, I'll sacrifice affirmative action, or I'll sacrifice you know tough on crime policies. I care about abortion. Me or you have a different opinion. So you know, we're, all these people will say you know they're they're maybe a conservative label, but you know they care about different things. Um, so yeah, I think you know good good strategy is to. Push on the things you care about and then not try to um, not try to have your movement hindered by the things you don't care about or the things you disagree uh, with your movement about, Uh, about that, you know, tech um, becoming, you know, less uh, left wing after Trump has gone. I think, you know, I think what I remember the summer of 2020 was really crazy you know, when you have this, like, uh, you know, this outbreak, this frenzy, that can never last forever. So 2019, 2020 was crazy. And just people, you know, that always leads to a backlash, like people can't just maintain this, you know, sense of like, craziness, like 24 hours a day, they have to, you know, they have to sort of move on at some point. So I, you know, I wonder how much is just, you know, accident, it was just, it was just gonna happen, like, George Floyd was sort of the peak. And then things were gonna change after that. But unquestionably, look, Whether Trump in office or Romney in office is more likely, I I have no doubt that Trump in office is much more likely to lead to a a backlash and to make society more liberal. I think if you're a Republican, you take either Trump or Romney because you want to win and you want to do things. But if you have a choice between the two, yeah, I think you try to get the guy who's not going to inspire
0: the backlash. If you could rank the priority list of issues that would lead to Republicans winning. You would certainly strike um, abortion off that list because it's a losing issue for reasons you've written about Um, would would crime be uh, among the first like for me, I wonder if like what is a woman is like a rallying cry that could uh you know win popular support. i
1: don't see I'll, i mean i don't see a lot of evidence because a lot of people are not seeing the trans issue in the way conservatives see the trans issue they really are seeing there's people with like deep problems and they're complaining and they, they feel sorry for them, and like, what is a woman you have a penis <laughs> like you know that works for conservatives i don't know if that like no, no, but they, they have
0: kids and they send their kids to school and if they see enough libs of tiktok videos they're going to be like what the fuck right
1: Yeah, I mean, but most people are not watching, you know, lips of TikTok video. I I don't know. I I don't know how representative that stuff is. I mean, some of it surely exists, but I don't know if like people are seeing it uh, everywhere in their lives. As far as like, you know, what what's a winning issue? Uh, Are you asking me what's a winning issue or like what I what I care about? Both. Uh, I'll start, I guess I'll start with the winning issues. Uh, I think the uh, like we talked about, the affirmative action, civil rights law, the big stuff, uh, stuff that's big stake it up, I think is right. Yeah, the crime issue. I mean, if you look at, you know, I think politicians generally know you know what they're doing. So if you New York Times did an analysis of the 2022 midterm and Democrats were all their ads were on abortion. Or the majority, or you know, the plurality, whatever that was the biggest issue for them. And for Republicans, it was uh, crime. Um, and I think both sides are right. I think they understand that um, people want, you know, people want their abortion rights, so and they want to be free from crime, right? Um, I think that's, I think that's, that is the median uh, voter. The thing about the Republicans, though, in running on the crime issue, is that there's not a lot. Well, this is, I for abortion too, at the, at the, you know, at the federal level. Um, although the judges, they, you know, it does matter for Senate races. Uh, you know, the federal government doesn't have tons of control over the crime issue, but you know the extent to which you can make it into an issue. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely worth talking about. That's that's correct. You know I think they should probably um, I you know I, I think that a lot of this you know the entitlement reform stuff. I think Social Security and Medicare are heading in a bad direction. I really care about doing something here, but I, I know it's not it's not popular. You know, my suggestion would be just lie and say you're going to protect Social Security and Medicare and and then not do that. I mean, I think that was basically that was Trump to a certain extent. Trump tried to repeal um, Obamacare and it would have like taken away a lot of Medicaid funding. And this is not this is Paul Ryan's dream, but it wasn't consistent with what Trump said during the campaign and just barely, you know, barely fell short in the Senate. But yeah, I think that, you know, I think that probably not running on that going moderate on the economic issues. Uh, I think is helpful. Um, I think the immigration issue, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm friendly to immigration. I think it does help Republicans generally to run against, you know, crime and disorder, but you've also got to do it in a way that doesn't seem, you know, that doesn't seem mean to people. And I, I wonder if sort of being a little bit more accommodating to immigrants, you know, is a good way to sort of, you know, just to to be harder on crime and to be harder on affirmative action and diversity stuff, because then people can't say, well, you're a racist. You just want to hurt minorities in in every way possible. If you could hold this up and say, no, I'm not, I'm, you know, welcoming to minorities who, you know, play by the rules and contribute to society. Of course, Um, I think that could be helpful, but that's, that's not where the base is. The base really wants to, wants to hammer immigrants.
0: Let's touch on crime for for a little bit. You you wrote a piece on on, on I believe visible graveyards of crime, and you were referencing you know the I believe it's prime minister, or president, or of El Salvador who's taken a very tough stance on on crime as it relates to gangs in his um you know in in his uh, country, sort of maybe implicitly recommending that like maybe something similar or even close or maybe there's something we can learn. Why don't I let you unpack what, what you were, were trying to say in, in that piece and what do people kind of like mis- misunderstand about?
1: So I, you know, the crime issue—it's crazy. I mean, we sit there and like, if one person, you know, gets shot by the police, and whether just sometimes seemingly justified and sometimes not, we, you know, it, it must be a hundred, you know, ten to one, hundred to one ratio of what the kind of national coverage it gets compared to like all the crime in the streets. But look, you know, pe- people, you know, dying don't, you know, care whether they were killed by police or other or criminals. Um, crime has all kinds of effects beyond just like the victim, like someone was murdered or someone was robbed or something like, you know, people who've lived, you know, it destroys it destroys cities. I mean, people flee from, you know, the tax base flees from cities with high crime rates, um, you know, like, you know, liberals complain about, you know, these uh uh, these areas that, like, they call them food deserts. Well, yeah, I mean, because, like, it's not profitable to run a business because you have to worry about shoplifting and you have to worry about, you know, your employees potentially getting shot and all these other things. Um, so crime is a major, major issue, and particularly in the America, not everywhere, but in the American inner city, yes, and in much of Latin America, uh, yes. And, you know, these uh, you have El Salvador, you have a country of um, a few million people, and it has basically, you know, the crime rate of, you know, some of the worst American American cities and so like what well, you know what kind of politics would you demand if you know our entire country were was Chicago or Detroit what would be the price you know the New York Times had an uh, had a headline recently you know El Salvador you know crushed its brutal gangs but at what price that's like you know the price is worth paying it's really really worth doing this when your murder rate is you know 50 per 100,000 uh, each each year right I mean the, the people you know can't people can't live under those circumstances normalized and you know in this article I just did a little bit of uh, uh, calculations here. And basically, I mean, you're going from Detroit to the American average in the murder rate. This is what uh, Bukele did in the last uh, few years. And like you 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 look at the number of people he had to lock up to do it. And you just do a back of the envelope calculation. Assume some percentage of them are innocent. I'm sure it happens. You know, I'm sure there are going to be innocent people who get caught up. But like, you know, you're El Salvador. You don't have like, you know, a lot of – good budget and well-trained police and like lawyers and, you know, uh, well-trained judges and all this stuff. No, the gangs basically run your country. And you've got to, you've got to figure out a, a way around this. Um, we're, we're in America and a much longer, position. I, you know, we could do a real crime crackdown without, you know, major civil liberties violation and get like, everybody to process. I'm sure we could do it if there was, uh, the, the will to do it. Uh, but we, but we don't, and you know, we can, you know, that's convenient enough because you know, most people in positions of power and influence, they don't live, you know, in the, in the worst parts of the country. Uh, But, you know, I really have compassion for, you know, uh, for El Salvador here and like, you know, and and really just just like to see sort of this lecturing uh, from the outside. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, Bukele is cracked down. I mean, I think it's, it's hard to imagine, a, you know, it's hard to make assumptions where this is not justified. I mean, these things are hard. These things are hard to calculate sort of how this works, but, you know, I just like to say, you know, make the, you know, make the assumptions you want and show me the calculations where this is not worthwhile to do. I think it, it unquestionably is.
0: How do you explain sort of like, how would you psychoanalyze someone who, who worries about whether a minority is, you know, dying from the hands of police, but doesn't worry about, sort of the orders of magnitude higher deaths that come just from like homicide in their own communities. Like is it that they are just bad at math or that they are uninformed or that it's actually not about the minority. It's it's not about the, it's about something else. It's this other game kind of that they're playing like, how, how do you explain that?
1: Yeah, I mean, this, it's gotta be to a certain extent people are bad at math. I think that's right. But people I mean, I think under so people who live in inner city neighborhoods, I think know, you know, like their police aren't the ones likely to shoot them if they get killed. Yeah. And I, you know, it's tempting. A lot of people, a lot of conservatives or moderates will blame, oh, these liberals, this luxury belief thing. They're the white liberals are the ones who want this. But unquestionably, the people in the inner city, I mean, they, they care more about, you know, they, the police killings bring out the protests in a way that the uh, normal everyday street killing does not. And if you look at actually the voting results in these elections, you know, it's, uh, you know, in Chicago, like the relatively uh, the anti-crime candidate didn't do as well with blacks. That's generally the pattern. I mean, blacks usually vote for the black candidate. That's why Eric Adams, you know, gets the black vote. But, you know, it, seem, it seems like they're more, they end up usually more on the side of the soft on crime uh, uh, constituency. So I think this is something real within these communities. And to the extent that white liberals like also believe this. I think a lot of it. They are they are actually channeling the actual preferences of Black communities. I mean, they're they're not imposing the. I, I think sort of liberals are, are just too differential to Black communities. If anything, you know, if you want a, a take that's sort of like the opposite of what people are saying. Oh, white liberals are doing this to Blacks. Like, no, white liberals are channeling Blacks. <laughs> you know, Blacks in the inner city are actually you know do actually have these preferences. Um, and you know, the psychology, I think, is you know, I think it's pretty normal. I mean, I think it's like. I think there's a lot of black people do see, even if like the police are black in their city and even if their mayor is black, they do see sort of the the wider society as fundamentally a white society. Like they do see it as sort of a white man's world. Um, And I do think they see authority as 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 white. And I I think it's like that, too. I mean, I think Americans, you know, they care more about a crime committed by an immigrant or a foreign country than they do their fellow Americans. And I think the sort of there's a lot of the sort of racial sort of solidarity in the black community that does, does lead to this.
0: How sure are we that being harder on crime, like significantly harder on crime would radically reduce crime? Like what, what does the the data suggest from other places that have done that?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard because like when we, when we like, it's not like the, the, you know, the, uh, American policy changes all that much between a Democratic and a Republican president, right? Like you're a cop on the streets. You don't notice the difference between the Biden administration and the Trump administration. Um, you know, so but I think that like we can look at the extreme cases like El Salvador and we can, we can see what happens. I think that it's not a coincidence that the Americans... Um, crime rate went up in the 1960s as we started um, we started going softer I mean in every way like more civil liberties for criminals uh, giving them you know attorneys giving them Miranda rights this all happened you know at the exact same time that crime went through the roof you know there's a plausible you're like, like, of course, like, you have a right to remain silent. Like, you know, criminals will often just tell you, like, what they did and what other people did, too. Like, obviously, there's going to be a cost to this, you know, having to, you know, get uh, a warrant, uh, you know, for the more stringent requirements on whether you can search somebody, just, you know, not locking people up, letting them go. You know, it, it, there's a sort of... Uh, this is. There's sort of like, why would people doubt this? Is sort of is sort of the question, and I think it's clearly that's ideological. It's ideolo- ideology that's leading. They don't like the idea that look, someone is behaving badly. You. Create the incentives for them not to behave badly. You, you uh, incapacitate them. You take them away from being able to harm society, and you know that has a disparate impact, and of course, and all that. Uh, people just don't like it, and so they're looking for something else. But I think it's it's clear from just from the plausibility of it in sort of history that this is how things work.
0: If you could wave a wand and change anything about how we did, you know, prison reform or police reform or anything regarding crime, and your goal was to, you know, reduce crime in a utility-maximizing way, what would you do?
1: I probably, I mean, I probably, I think the death penalty is probably better than any other thing. And I probably using it very, very liberally um, and using it, you know, sort of making us, you know, uh, how, how far can I go? Making a spectacle out of it would probably be very helpful. I think, so- you know, society, you look at like these old cases and like this murderer kills someone. And then like, you know, six months later, they, you know, or weeks later or whatever, they hang him. And it's like, what well, was society, what was like, so- you know, it's the deterrent effect. Yes. But it's also like, what is society saying in that case? Okay. You've taken a human life, we're going to repay that, and we're going to repay that immediately, not give you another 15, 20 years and make you into a hero, right? We're going to take care of you. I think that's sort of the the negative attitude and sort of the, okay, you're disposable, now we're going to get rid of you, I think is probably just as strong as the, well, I shouldn't say just as strong, but also strong. You know, The turn effect is probably uh, stronger. Um, but yeah, I would, I mean, I, I would, I think the death penalty would make, I would make use of it. I think the facial recognition technology and DNA um, technology, you know, Magic Iglesias, my and your favorite uh, liberal, um, he's all, you know, he's talking, he's, he's talked about this too. I mean, people don't like the facial recognition technology because of, I get disparate, but it's like, it's like, this is like, what do you want? This is like, perfect. You're getting AI to tell you who the criminals are and you're getting them on video. You know, and so I think we get more of this stuff, too. I think Jennifer Doliak has done some stuff on, like, you know, DNA, uh, collecting DNA of criminals and like that really reducing um, uh, recidivism. Um, and so, yeah, there's, you know, I think general tougher. I think more police help. Um, there's there's a lot you can do. Um, it's just, you know, ideology prevents us from doing it. So
0: uh, you're recommending, I believe, what scholars call the Michelle Tandler approach. <laughs>
1: well I'd legalize drugs I wouldn't i wouldn't i would leave the federal people alone and then just get to the people who are doing the you know the crimes not the not the not the traitors but but yeah basically her heart's in the right place
0: <laughs> yeah it's um it's, it, it elon was coming for legalizing as well uh and you know i'm I'm about to move back to San Francisco and you hear these stories of, of crime and it's just it's you know, it, one wonders what, what they should do or what, what can't even be done, but it's certainly not
1: the approach. Yeah, but of done. all the people to hang, why focus on the fentanyl? I, I don't know. Like, there's so you many, know, the people who break into cars, right? Uh, like, focus on the people. You know, there's so many, there's not like there's no shortage of people who do things to other people, right? So, you know, start
0: with that. Some of our mutual friends, I was talking to them, they, they said that prohibition actually worked. Like, it actually reduced alcohol. Like, do you think that legalizing it would? increase usage
1: i mean it's plausible yes i mean yes (laughs) i think that yeah i think think when you uh make something illegal you mean you know it's like not like you know people are like oh you ban guns people only the criminals will find a way or like no like things that are illegal are harder to find that yeah and then not everyone is you know not everyone is like uh you know macgyver like you know being able to find you know whatever they need that resourceful and that you know that careful um and so yeah clearly but you know what that's that's the that's a cost of freedom. I mean, look, you you have, I mean, you can get rid of alcohol. I, I I don't doubt it would save lives. I mean, look, there's a lot of drunk driving. There's a lot of, you know, killings that happen when people are under the influence. Um, yeah, I'm sure betting, you know, Popeye's chicken would you know probably save a few lives. But, you know, whatever. I'm saving lives. I mean, what's that? like I, that's a dystopia. Like, try to save as many lives as possible. That's Xi Jinping during COVID, right?
0: I, I don't want that. I don't want a society that's going to maximize
1: lives saved. I think that's a terrible way to govern.
0: Yeah, you want to say it's going to maximize what?
1: Uh, happiness and progress and and wealth and liberty.
0: Just finishing the loop on the diversity, there was this, a school of thought that uh, said that um, diverse teams do better. You know, Scott Page, I think, has diversity difference, stuff like this. And I think they tried to conflate sort of like interdisciplinary thinking with sort of like racial diversity or gender diversity. You know, in tech, they'll say things like, you know, Pinterest could have only been like Founded by a woman, it was actually founded by a man. But you, you go <laughs> he, like there are certain types of company. I believe a woman, a prominent woman, invested in it, and she could have only seen it. And you know, black people or women are more likely to invest in certain types of things. Or, anyways, you kind of get my point. Do you, is there any evidence for sort of the effect of racial or gender diversity?
1: Yeah, I mean, this the evidence for this stuff, I think, is pretty you know, is pretty weak. It is, it's plausible. I mean, you know, you can be but it's like you know, it's a question of how much. Like if you watch like Mad Men, right? And like they were all like, you know, white men, they would like occasionally bring the woman in and say, you know, what do you think of this? So it's like, you know, the question is like, you know, maybe you need a woman to say, you know, this, this seems wrong, or this is like, this won't work or whatever, Um, but can you just get that from like asking your secretary or asking your wife or something, right? do you really need, you know, if she's not the best suited to be the business executive, do you really need to bring the woman, uh, the woman in? So no, I don't think there's a lot of evidence, but look, things that this is, the markets are good for figuring this stuff out. I mean, like you don't need to, you don't need to force people, you don't need to force it on people. Uh, if it works the only reason you need to force it on people is because you know there's there's some doubts about your theory and especially you know academia it's it's very it's, you know people know the replication crisis but it's not just the replication crisis it's like the way you frame the issue like academics will take like this thing that works in this very narrow context and say well this shows quote unquote diversity is good right it might just be some nervous, it might just be some puzzle or something that has no uh, relevance to any real world situation, and usually they can't do the real world test. They're you know they're too hard, and the world is uh, too complicated, and it's too expensive, and all that. And so yeah, I mean again, it's one of those things. Great, I mean great theory. I'm sure it works in some places. I'm sure it doesn't work in others, right? Do you need uh do you need your coders? You have a very technical question to be gender or racial diverse. I, I don't see any way that would work. I mean, I, any reason for that? If you're making a movie, like you want to appeal to your products, yeah, maybe. I mean, you want to other people in the room. So it's going to be very context uh, dependent. I'm
0: curious, l- let's say affirmative action, you know, gets, gets repealed, like in the next five to 10 years, how do you expect um, sort of, you know, these issues kind of like the diversity expectations of, you know, equal representation in, in business and in sort of uh, like, h- how do you expect it to evolve? You know, there's a certain generation of people that really believes it and believes it strongly. and it affects their careers in very real ways so do you expect to be further politicized do you expect like what do you expect to happen
1: uh so okay one thing i don't expect is vivek comes into office signs executive or you know repeals executive order 11246 and they go and publicly fire all the diversity counselors the next day like i don't think that's i don't think that's going to happen uh but i do think that next you know you really do push back against race-based governments next time there is you know there's austerity you know uh they're they're looking to fire employees those calculations are going to change, right? Um, I think that future uh, corporations, um, that you know, the, there's a lot of turnover in the Fortune. 500 i mean capitalism is still a dynamic process and so i think the next generation of corporations are going to come they're not going to have these offices they're not going to have these vested interests you know people used to say you know google for the first number of years didn't really have an hr department right soft you know the, the, there was this it used to be this um this uh stereotype of like you know this uh, tech is this unregulated place where these bros can do whatever they want but you know i think that was that might have been true you know 20 years ago but you know the shakedown artists came for that came for them um and they ended up changing the culture i mean i remember like the old shake now regime where it was just very explicit. Like Jesse Jackson says, hire more blacks. and They just give Jesse Jack, Google would just give Jesse Jackson a check. Now it's much more, you know, it's much more elaborate. They have their, you know, all the diversity people within, you know, within the organization. And so, yeah, I mean, the next generation of companies, though, it'll be like what Silicon Valley could have been, could have remained if it came up in a world where there wasn't civil rights law. but Unfortunately, there was civil rights law and they got captured. So whatever the industries of the future future are, you know, I suspect they'd be less woke. It would have more impact on them than the, than the current... Uh, the current co- uh, companies and established interests
0: it'll be interesting to uh, interesting to see you have come across as very anti anti woke uh, you know you've been a leading th- writer a- about that topic so people conflated you with right wing um and then as you were seen as more right wing you started to write more about how <laughs> you know people on the right uh, you know don't read uh, you know and you know are lower iq etc and half part of this is in jest but you had a certain disgust uh, on, on the right do do you have kind of like a And then you repudiated some of the ideas around, um, you know, sort of being sympathetic to Russia or China, and and you were kind of liberal democracy built. So you had a bit of an evolution. Do you see kind of almost like a reverse audience capture when a certain group likes you? It's like a Groucho Marx phenomenon of like, you start to either dislike them, or you just are more uh, aware of their flaws?
1: Yeah, that's, that's true. That is, that is happening. And I, I wonder how much of it is just Twitter. I mean, the It's not like the people who write essays, like responding to me, uh, anger me, you know, usually they're, you know, sensible, dependent Twitter, the people are, they are bad. And like, I guess the wokes, they're not, they're not my, like, they're not my network. Right. So they're not dunking on me all the time. They're not fighting with me. It's, it's, it's these, you know, these conservatives and I end up, yeah, I end up really, really disliking them, but I try not to have that be sort of the determining, uh, force. I think when you've come, you when you've sort of gotten it from like both sides, like you've had these mobs come after you from both sides, you are uh, you 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 don't have the illusion that it's all, oh, these innocent, cowering conservatives and these big, bad leftists who just want to cancel people and want to hurt people and want to come after people. No, I've had very, you know, vicious conservative uh, mobs, probably the worst mobs I've had, you know, have been have been conservatives. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, having that perspective makes you understand that it's not just one group, you know, victimizing the other group in uh in american society um but you know i try not to sort of like just be driven by these uh personal grievances you know i still and i, I think i'm still able to say like look I, I still think republicans are more correct on most issues so i generally do want them to win uh elections um you know just because they they don't you know they, they don't meet my intellectual standards as far as like why they believe what they do or why they do what they do i mean i i'm able to look past that so yeah, you know, you, you try to not have audience capturing, You try to not to have reverse audience capture. You know, you try to just
0: <laughs> just figure out. You know what the what the best ideas are. Do Do you think it's a little bit of the midwit meme where it's like the the lower IQ, but they're coming to the right conclusion. The the mid IQ might be the the left, um, and then there's certain people on the right who be like you know, have a better process for coming to the conclusion, but come to the same conclusion?
1: It's issue by issue. I think on the gender stuff, yeah, I think it's it's so clearly, you know, fake. I think the DEI and the woke stuff, like, you know, a a really stupid person can see through it and a really smart person can see through it. But no, I mean, there's certain issues where conservatives are just, you know, stupid on and, you know, there's not smart people are not coming to those conclusions either. So it really is issue by issue.
0: I I wonder, it seems that blank slatism is a core tenet of, you know, being an upstanding person in society um, today. And I I feel like that's gotten harder and harder to believe and that at some point it will just be like, you just can't believe that and also be a thinking person and thus like that will change on the left. Like, how do you see that?
1: Well, Charles Murray thinks this, Charles Murray thinks that scientific evidence will come in for heredity and intelligence and all this. But though, you know, what I say to that is like, look, Like, do you think that the evidence for differences between men and women are are overwhelming? Do you think any other evidence will ever reach the level of the certainty of that? We know men and women are different. And I don't think I can't see it like I, I consider that the most proven thing that you can imagine. And still, like you know, it's when you look at STEM. Why are women underrepresented in STEM? It's still, you know, it's still mostly blank slateism is what you're, what you're supposed to say. Uh, so no, I don't think evidence is going to save us. I don't think any scientific finding is going to come back and say, "Oh, we found the gene." Like we already know about chromosomes, and we still think you know men and women are are the same. And you know when it's convenient. Uh, so no, science science won't save us. We'll have to argue for
0: these things directly. Yeah, I wonder if advancement in behavioral genetics might.
1: No, nobody cares. The, the twin studies have been around, I mean, for, you know, 30, 40 years. They're very convincing. They're very high quality. I mean, the twin studies, the adoption studies, I mean, they blow your mind when you first read about them, but you know, nobody, nobody cares. I mean, it, it just hasn't I, you know, I wish, one thing, you know, I wish conservatives wouldn't use this stuff because it's actually, uh, it's actually very, very powerful. And like, you don't have to just say all experts are wrong and all science and data is wrong. You can say like, no, you have the bad data and we have, you know, you have the flawed methodology and we have the good methodology for figuring these things too, but you know, not many people have sort of the brains or the inclination to to want to do that.
0: You wrote a piece, you know, effective altruism will be woke or die or anti-woke or die. You could have, you know, substituted kind of any gray tribe group for effective altruism. Um, you know, and it just it, it feels like blank slateism is the is the crux issue. And it, to me, it feels like they're all conceding on that or like there's no way they can fight back without being kind of out of polite society. Like.
1: Yeah. So I was recently at the Emergent Ventures Conference for people who've gotten a grant from Tyler Cowen in a, in the DC area. And there are a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of EAs there. And, you know, one thing somebody said um, that I think is correct is that like the EA's movement's um, influence will not be as EA's, right? The EA's influence's movement will be in people taking lessons uh, from them. And and I think that's probably, and, and trying to do something with it. So I think like you see, like the hints of EA, like sort of, and I would, you know, you see sort of like an you know, EA thought sort of making its way through different things. So I think that, like, uh, you know, like uh, Yimbyism, I think a lot of there's a lot of overlap with these uh, EA people. Um, I think like an EA approach to crime, for example, I think you're seeing a little bit of people talk to that. They don't call themselves, you know, say we're an EA approach to crime, but just like doing the cost and benefit and not being sort of hostage to to ideology. Um, so EA as an EA movement is maybe not as Interesting as like EA and what it does, you know how it influences right wing fingers and how it influences left wing fingers and people closer to to politics. I think there's there's still a lot of you know potential there.
0: Talk about how you became a uh, liberal democracy pilled uh, Fukuyama pilled, and how you think about that in context of the critique that even Fukuyama to this day doesn't fully appreciate just how susceptible liberalism is to wokeness or, or far leftism because it doesn't have any brake pedals.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the like to start with like the the last part. You know, wokeness. I don't think we should exaggerate like you know how. I mean, it's bad. I, I hate it. I mean, I wrote wrote a book on it and spent a lot of time on it. Uh, but I'd rather live with a woke elite than a socialist elite or a communist elite or you know the other. Uh, I'd rather I'd rather be than be trying to do the woke stuff. To even than like doing a new great society like expanding government to the extent that Johnson has. I think you have more freedom. Uh, under a, under a woke government governance. Uh, so I don't I don't see woke as like an existential uh, crisis for democracy. And as far as like how it became sort of democracy, it's, it's it's like I think people a lot of people want to believe that liberal democracy is a you know is the best uh, yeah best system of government and humanity doesn't have uh, an alternative. I think the evidence for that on you know has generally been not as strong as you know people would have liked to think. I mean, you have. You know examples of countries with massive economic growth and you know doing very well like uh, Singapore, South Korea, Taiwan. Now, when you look at these countries and you look at sort of like the human capital that they're working with, right? South Korea is uh, you know is one of the most underperforming countries for like IQ relative to GDP per capita. So, so South Korea, when you consider its behalf of Koreans, uh, is not that is not that impressive. But I think that the two big, I mean, I think that China was sort of the big one because it's this you know it's it's the uh, second biggest economy in the world. And they've had remarkable economic growth, you know, for decades. The greatest, you know, improvement in, pe- in a large number of people's living standards ever, right? They had, you know, seven, eight percent. People say it's exaggerated, but it might be. But still, I mean, you, you don't, you can't doubt that, you know, since the danger reforms, China has seen uh, massive, you know, uh, improvements in some ways. You know, society more successful than ours, say, in like, uh, uh, you know, crime and things like that. They don't have the kind of disorder that we have in our society. And so there was a plausible case that look, there's something to be said of the China model. Uh, then COVID hits, and actually the China model sort of looks even stronger because china gets this thing under control and like there's these articles in like mid-2020 that like oh china's like you know gone back to normal and we're still locked down right because they, they they just crushed it like well, wow, this is a really con-. and it's still really impressive i mean what they how long they held out with zero COVID is really really impressive even if it's not you know perfectly reported or or whatever i mean the fact that they could sort of contain this thing um for that long was really really impressive um, but then it turns out years later, like they spent their budget is gone because they spent it all on COVID testing and like they don't have money to do anything else. And, you know, they keep the zero COVID thing, you know, forever after vaccines are available, they build a vaccine that's not very good, but still, I mean, it's probably good enough to go back to normal life. You know, you don't have to lock up people forever and their their economic growth, you know, slows down. You think they might be self-interested enough to do something about that. And not only that, but you see Xi Jinping talking like uh, about you know sort of like this uh, idea that capitalism has got on out of control. Look, this, that's never good news. Look, like when your leaders start talking like that, they don't have they don't they usually don't have something better. They, you know, they're just sort of it's asserted control or trying to achieve equality and that's gonna make people worse off. And so you have this sort of this turn away from uh capitalism, right? And so China doesn't, you know, I, I don't look bullshit the the birth rate collapsed too maybe they solve it like this is another thing that may like maybe they solved it but like if their competence extends to so, like they're very good at like you know uh, stopping covid but not good at like increasing their birth rate they're doing some things that are, are you know interesting at least interesting to like watch how it turns out right like banning men who are who look like sissies from tv like maybe that's a good fertility like intervention. Like, I don't know, like, right. Encouraging women to actually have kids. They have like, they have this ministry of like women's affairs in China. And it's pretty funny. It's like, Oh, 30 and not married. What is wrong with you? You are bad for China. Like that's not what you usually think is like a women's affairs office is, is doing, but they are, but they are doing this. And like, you know, maybe there's fruits of that. If that fails, then you just get the tyranny without any of the, uh, without any of the plus side, without, you know, without the uh, economic growth or without the um, reversing the birth rate issue. So, you know, I'm much, much less optimistic about uh, China's future than I was recently. Russia, I mean, nobody thought Russia was like, you know, the the smartest run country in the world at any point. Uh, But, you know, for it to screw up this bet, to have this sort of war that like You know, the troops on the ground don't know they're fighting until the day before. I'm like, you know, isolate yourself internationally um, and, you know, not even do that. Well, people expect you to just sort of roll into Kiev. I mean, the U.S., you know, expects this and yet you don't. You get stuck. You know, you you only uh, break off a, a chunk of the country, which everyone flints from and nobody wants to nobody wants to live in anyway. And then. You know, the U.S., I mean, the U.S. bounces, I mean, the U.S. bounces back. I mean, the U.S. bounces back from COVID. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, there was like these articles like by by Peter, like people like uh, Peter Church and saying we're going to have a civil war. I always thought that was nonsense. I always thought that was exaggerated. Um, And, you know, things look pretty good. And the point is, you know, there's no there's, there's no alternative. Like the, you know, the Ch- China, you know, with the technocratic model, I, I think has failed. And it, it's actually was a reasonably seeming technocratic model. Like if you read about like, the Chinese promotion system and like the standardized, you know, the, the reliance on standardized, I think if anyone could have pulled off like a meritocracy that had like, you know, that had a reasonable decision-making, it might've been, you know, China. Um, but apparently the system is, the system is broken in some ways. Um, and so at this pretty good, you know, Pretty good uh, reason to think like we're not going to
0: be able to do you know any kind of
1: you know monarchy or whatever thing people are people are hoping for.
0: Peter Zehan for, for the audience is a is a thinker who's gotten a lot of um, you know acclaim in the last few years because he sort of predicted you know U.S. Um, you know isolating it, itself a little bit and he, his his worldview is that uh, what really matters in terms of determining a, a country's success is uh, demographics you know population um, sort of balance between generations. As well as geography and uh, and energy, and and that's he, he, what he doesn't look at. Uh, it seems uh, is culture and governance, as opposed to you know, Monker Olson's worldview, the who I think is like all about institutions, why nations fail, or the the bology worldview, which is about like you know, human capital, um, you know, IQ and also like technology. So is Zeehan optimistic about Africa because they have the, the best demographics then? Uh, that's a great question. I, I suspect uh, he isn't <laughs> or, or I don't hear about the, the countries he's excited about are Turkey, Argentina, France. He's excited about countries that did well bef- be- before uh, World War II um, that are independent, that independent manufacture their own stuff. Turkey is interesting.
1: Yeah. Turkey, I can see. Argentina, I don't know why you would think that. France has decent demographics, but, you know, problems with that, too. So that, that sort of makes sense.
0: How would you describe the Hanania worldview in terms of, like, how would you rank order some of those uh, things, in ter- like, in terms of, like, what really determines a country's… Uh,
1: seems to, it seems to be markets and it seems to be sort of, uh, the, you know, the inherent, you know, human capital of the, of the population. I mean, you look at the Chinese, they've done well. Every single place that there have been Chinese, uh, same with Japanese. Um, you know, Koreans have South Korea and North Korea, and, you know, obviously North Korea is its, uh, its own thing. But look, if we saw it in Eastern Europe. I mean, the countries that, you know, the countries that basically they, you know, the wall came down. They, these pe- countries didn't have um, great resources. Like, I don't, I'd never heard about great resources out of, you know, Poland or Hungary or whatever. Uh, but these countries, you know, did well. So I think that, like, and I think that we're, I'm, you know, I'm more optimistic sort of about the world. I think it's, like, if you look at, like, sort of, uh, you know, the, sort of the decrease in poverty. I think that after the Soviet Union collapsed, I think we really saw uh, just people understand that like sort of central planning wasn't going to work and that the, the long term trend has been a move towards uh, markets. And so most regions of the world, you know, life has gone much, much better. Um, and I think it's probably um, going to uh, continue. You know, I see the, um, you know, China, China's China's a big one. Um, but you know, that could, that could turn around, but in general, yeah, I think, I think that, you know, human, I think living standards are, I think globalization worked. I mean, like the, one of the things I think that so people get so wrong is like globalization, you know, you know, screwed up and everything is much worse off. It's like, no, like poverty, like declined at a faster rate than any other time. People complain, oh, Americans are, look, Americans are still living better than they did a generation ago. There was, you know, some, uh, growing, you know, there was some, uh, uh, complications, complications here, but I don't think our politics and like going haywire was a Result of our trade policy, or because of globalization, I think tech- it was a technology that um, that you know, with cable news and the internet and the social media, that sort of drove people uh, insane. Um, so yeah, you know, neoliberalism, Clinton, Blair. I mean, I think that's that that's the path to success. I'd, I'd be more I'd be more right wing than them, but basically, I mean, that's better compared to historically what's come before it.
0: So you're obviously pro markets. Are, are you sympathetic to the critique that um, there's you know certain cultural degradations that? that happen um, because of markets? And you mentioned, you know, in China, they're trying to do, I guess, some government social engineering with around, um, you know, fertility, um, or even like, uh, you know, traditional gender roles. Is there a type of social engineering at the government level, whether it's encouraging marriage or encouraging, you know, um, you know, people to have more kids or or encouraging traditional gender roles that you might support because markets just tend to lean in a certain direction? Or do you think that That's actually not what's happened. What's happened is, in fact, it has been so tilted. And so we haven't had actual free markets in terms of culture.
1: You know, the question is, you know, what is the, you know, if you dislike the direction that the culture has gone with, uh, you know, just with sort of a free market society, what is the alternative? And it's, you know, you had like something like Iran, right? I had an article on Iran, right? They had, you know, they had, it sounds like what the, you know, the, the, you know, tradition trad cons, you know, wanted. You had a government that believes strongly in a moral vision that, you know, forced that moral vision on people. Like, you know, government was strong role in the economy and it has a low birth rate and the people are, you know, the people hate the government and the government just, you know, rules by brute force. And so the question is like, I, you know, I like, you know, stable families and, you know, I like, I like, you know, people like, not having tattoos on their face. And I don't know, I have these like sort of these conservative instincts of the things I like too. But I just don't see like, I I just don't see the, like the path to government, like being wise enough or able to really affect these things in a positive direction. I'm up, you know, I'm open to, you know, if you want to like, you know, subsidize, you know, births and, you know, uh, stuff like that, you know, I'm not totally um, against that. Um, If you want to make, you know, if you want to, what, like, Makes tax credits to make marriage easier. I'm not. I'm not against it. It's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, I just. I just don't have faith that you, you could do much here um, without like really heavy-handed methods. And then even then, like Iran, it could backfire.
0: Yeah, that's uh, as well put. Sh- shifting gears here a little bit. Do you do you think that um, there are people who are just like temperamentally or genetically right or left wing?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Look at Sean Hannity's head. Do you think that that guy? Can you imagine Sean Hannity? Uh, doing Chris Hayes' show and Chris Hayes doing Hannity's show. Can you imagine that? No, can't. try to imagine it. Yeah, it, it, these people were obvious. I, mean, I think. I, I think the physi- physiognomy is, is definitely a thing. But yeah, there's these instincts that, are, of course, people are people are different. Yeah.
0: And and how do you like? What is it about John Hannity that like make makes him like his physiognomy that would make him more right wing or like?
1: Yeah, I it's it's you know it's it's hard to say. So conservatism seems to be. It seems okay, liberal, I mean it seems like there are different types. It's not like there's a type of like there's a conservative gene or a conservative trait or a liberal trait, right? So it seems like a certain combination of a kind of man becomes a conservative. He might be smart, but not too smart, and he might be mas- very masculine, right? or very sort of tribal in his instinct. And I think that combination is sort of the uh, the talk radio guy. I think that I think that guy is a certain type. And then you have the high intelligence, maybe low testosterone, maybe uh, uh, low low competitive, yeah, uh, sort of womanly, and sort of like this empathy and stuff like that. I think those guys tend to be tend to be liberals, right? And then for women and men, for women, it's going to be a completely different thing, right? Where the more masculine women seem to be more attracted to liberalism, and the more feminine women, right, are attracted to conservatism. And I think there's different types of like the IQ distribution and the Personality distribution and between the sexes. So yeah, I, you know, if you like want the behavioral genetic studies, I mean, they do show that ideology is uh, driven by politics and sort of. I think these are sort of the the mechanisms uh, through which this happens.
0: And, and do you think the uh, the parties will continue to polarize on on, on those uh, axes, like just even even more, or how, how do you how do you expect the the parties to realign if at all? over the next few years. It's
1: inseparable from Trump. It's inseparable from what I think is going to happen Trump. I really like some people believe that like historical forces just sort of happen and like individuals don't matter. Like, no, Trump really matters. Individuals matter. Elon Musk, of course, matters. These people matter. but Trump really matters for our politics. I think he's going to probably the most likely scenario is he uh, wins a nomination probably loses the general or he might win if he loses the general i think he's the nominee in 2028 and probably 2032 and and probably indefinitely um so i think it's going to be i think it's probably going to be the trump uh i probably think it's going to be the trump party. he's not he doesn't die no he doesn't die they run his hologram yeah after a while after a while no he, he i think as long as he's physically able i mean i think he could be he could be the nominee i, I don't think there's any uh i don't think there's any natural you know natural reason to think it would stop and so, or, and if and if he's not, he'll be a, he'll be a huge he'll be a huge figure in the party. I mean, his his trials will be you know the center of our politics, right? Even if it's not, even if he's not running for president or if he's not president. Uh, so yeah, I think Trump is you know sort of an accelerant for these forces, um, and I think he's going to be there for a while. So I see it, I see it sort of continuing. I I think the uh, uh, I, yeah, I think the abortion thing is probably going to you know is going to contribute even more to this. And that's you know because that uh, that issue is just I think just started I think the poll you know we just started the politics of this you know that's taken up the political realm for a very long time, uh, so yeah I think you know we polarized and we we're going to be more polarized I hope that like maybe the Trump show gets old and like. It doesn't have to affect as many parts of life we can be equally polarized for people who are into politics but politics can be like less of a thing but like normal people are like oh you know you crazy people just fight we're we're just going to do our own thing we're going to have you know normal businesses and normal art and normal family lives uh that that's the hope but i think the polarization i think is, is here to stay for a while
0: were you close to ezra klein's um understanding of of why we're polarized and do you have a different view
1: uh n- yeah I know I think I think Ezra's uh, I think Ezra's pretty uh, pretty much correct yeah I read that book a while ago i am trying to re- I try to remember the thesis but basically he points to you know the collapse of i of identity at the sort of one access, right and I think that's I think that's correct and I think that the technology is you know got to be sort of part of it I think if you look at sort of the uh, over time, you see like sort of the subscription numbers for the New York Times and the Washington Post go up and like the other newspapers in the country go down. You have, you know, the, the cable news channels and they, you know, they specialize, they, uh, you know, the audience or they find their niche audiences. Um, so yeah, you know, I did I didn't find a lot of that. Um, I didn't find a lot of the book to disagree with. I think it's a lot of it's basic, you know, basic political science that most people accept.
0: I'm curious again, to get into your politics a little bit. I mean, you, you've, you're def- definitely not a populist, it seems, but unlike kind of, you know, right wing elitists. You're you prefer democracy over like systems like uh, integralism or uh, Duganism. Uh, and your Fukuyama post makes that clear. And so, if you're if you're kind of pro democracy and anti populism, h- how do you think about managing that tension? Do you, do you want the masses running things or, or not?
1: I guess I'm just I guess I'm just like a normal Republican. I guess that I guess I'm just a normie. I mean, I, I, that, that... So like a
0: Paul Ryan,
1: Jeb Bush. I mean, closer to that than either populists or, or wokes or monarch is. Look, it's so funny, like the right wingers who hate democracy. Look, the only reason you people have any power or influence at all is because of a democracy. Like they think that like integralists will be running the country if we don't have democracy. No, it's going to be Fauci and, and Biden and Kamala Harris. Of course. I mean, like what is this? This, this stuff is, you know, this stuff is, uh, is you know, sort of, sort of silly. I think democracy is like not like a real thing. It's like a spectrum. You know, it's it's like it's like you know we say oh somebody does something we don't like we say oh that's undemocratic, but you know I think you need a system in which um, you know in which sort of you know people you know leaders can get feedback. China actually tries to do this from like top down. They have this like complaint system and they monitor public opinion and all these other things. But I think it's sort of a central, it's a central planning thing rather than a sort of a spontaneous uh, sort of feedback thing where like, you know, you can right now you have like a, you know, city government and you can go yell at them. And that's, you know, that's sort of, that's a way for like, you know, for the you could run against them and you can talk about them on social media you know that's that you know you can't just sort of replace that by like trying to figure out what the people want and then like you know sitting there in your you know in your room and and then drawing up you know how to respond to public opinion and so yeah i mean i don't think it's necessarily like attention it's like you know it's like historically like you know the more you know the the you know i do think that there is a problem in that uh historically like there's been like a big government has expanded um in democracy as time has gone on i just don't see i don't see like dictatorships having you know a better model and then they you know they also expand government because it seems to be that's what people want and they also need to respond to what people want they just do it in a more clumsy way i don't see really an alternative i think one good thing about democracy is it's sort of um like if you look at something like uh you know embryo selection right which i think you know genetic engineering that i hope is going to go somewhere uh, like I used to think maybe China will be more enthusiastic about the stuff than America was. And now uh, Steve Shu I think, still thinks that. But I, I don't think that now. I see China, they came and they arrested that scientist too, uh, who, um, who did the thing with the cloning, the baby where they inserted the genes into them. And You know, like the U.S. is probably one of the most, or or maybe the most unregulated country in the world for this embryo selection stuff, basically because you can make as many embryos as you want to do whatever you want with them, basically. Although we do ban uh, gene editing, and part of it is just like democracy focuses on other things, so it can't really crush like all the sources of uh, progress or innovation. So I think that's sort of, and I think that like the the development of uh, big tech in the united states right it's sort of the same thing it's not like you know biden's or trump or whatever clinton or whatever said that oh we're gonna have this big tech economy it's just that this new thing came up and like government was sort of too slow and um uh too sort of clumsy to really pay that much attention to it and then it sort of took off and it changed the world maybe that kills us with you know ai um according to some people but in most cases it's actually a good thing um and i hopefully you know hopefully we'll have more of that
0: I'm curious how you make sense of the Elon Musk kind of political phenomenon, and if you think it's a kind of winning strategy to kind of become, you know, pretty heavily partisan, but to do so from a place of just like higher IQ, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think something like that, I mean, I think works, you know, I think that like, people are too sort of wedded to the idea that there's like these people called conservatives, and there's people called liberals, and like on one side, you just sort of have to figure out the best strategy for beating the other side. And I believe it's more dynamic than that. I think what conservatism is affects what liberalism is. And whatever liberalism is in a a specific moment affects what conservatism is, right? So conservatives did not care about women. So they were not passionate defenders of women's sports, right? Until the trans issue stuff. Liberals, you know, weren't the, uh, you know, weren't the, they weren't even that pro-immigration until uh, Trump came along and then made them pro-immigration, right? There's, so there's, you know, I think one, question people should always be asking isn't just like how my size should win. maybe that's the right question in an election because an election is just a zero-sum game that happens you know every two or four years uh but like the rest of the time they should be asking you know me as as a conservative or me as a liberal, how can I make the other side the most tolerable, you know, version of themselves? Or maybe you want to make them worse because you know you want you want a backlash and you think you'd win through some you know complicated thing, whatever. But you, you've got to be be thinking of these things. So the Elon phenomenon, I think, is interesting. I think when you have somebody on, of unquestionably like nobody can question his intelligence or his you know his success in life, um, it's definitely a PR coup, you know, for your side if you can if you can get him on your side un, unquestionably. His behavior though, I mean, probably negates a lot of that, a lot of that, right? He's, he changes, you know, uh, he changed his, uh, Twitter name to Harry Balls, and okay, so now he's playing into, okay, conservatism is like, he might be smart, but look, he's, he's got the emotional maturity of a five-year-old, and like, it's very easy for liberals at that point to sort of brush it off. So I was excited, like, oh, Elon Musk becomes conservative, maybe this has a, like a big change, but I think sort of his personality has sort of played into some liberal narratives about conservatives and how he's acted, and probably it's it's a wash at that point.
0: You you were mentioning earlier that people matter, people change the course of history, one debate we had in a, in a group a long time ago was, do ideas matter? Um, or is it, you had this phrase once, it was like hormones cope and s- something else I can't remember. Um, re- reflect on or un- unpack that kind of debate and, and where did you net out on it?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, people, like, I think that this is sort of a theme and that I spell this out explicitly in my book on wokeness. You know, there's a kind of guy who likes to like read philosophy like, oh, there was Rousseau. And there was, you know, there was Marx, and there was Thomas Jefferson, and there was Locke, and like society is just like the 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 aggregate, you know, the aggregate of like like ten percent Marx and like sixty percent Jefferson, or you know, whatever it is. And you know, I think that it, it clearly doesn't work like that. If you look at sort of what wokeness is, there's no philosophy. You know, you could tie it. Oh, the Gnostics. Oh, somehow it's Rousseau. Somehow it's Marx. Like. Nobody was saying that before wokeness. Like nobody was saying in 1950. Oh, I've read Marx, so this is going to relate to transgenderism, right? It, the people are just, you know, they're 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 just sort of reverse engineering because they see what's happened, and so that they can go back in time and say this was caused by some philosopher, the,
0: the or Germans something. or something, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, the Frankfurt School. I mean, you know, it's like, like they, you know they said they, 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 you know, it's like some of this stuff. I mean, and of course you'll find somebody who did say something that sort of looks like today because you know people say all kinds of things, right? It doesn't mean that that uh, that that person caused it i think people who are interested in ideas tend to think ideas are important my sort of study into wokeness shows that it's actually often not ideas it's just sort of bureaucratic sort of uh you know it's sort of people uh uh, responding to sort of uh, bureaucratic initiatives or responding to a certain election or trying to get voters in some way it leads to this law that leads to this like industry popping up and this industry sort of justifies uh what they wanted to do in the in the first place and so yeah i think that like every like i think the trump movement is another sort of example of this. It's like Trumpism wasn't a thing until, like, Trump came along, right? And then people will go back and they'll graft their own sort of explanation. Oh, it was, you know, upset about trade or it was this or it was that. I mean, Trump just had some instincts and then people, like, this guy who didn't have, like, a coherent philosophy, people just sort of can could make something up around that and they claim the mantle of Trumpism. So, ideas, you know, I think ideas are important, like, like I think, like, abolition or something, like, like a very specific, like, a, you know, pro-life, you know, could be in this Category, it's like a specific cause that people take up and that gets put on the radar, and people can change the world that that way. But these, like, ide- like obviously Marx. I mean, obviously Marx doesn't exist. There's no Marxism. Obviously, that's that, that, you know that's another clear case of that. But the idea that like, you know, some ancient philosophy, you know, some philosopher, you know, said something about liberty or said something about, you know, some, you know, there's some debate between, you know, the Pope and, you know, the Protestants of, you know, the 1600s that today exploits our politics or something like that. I just don't see a lot of evidence for that. I think it's very easy to sort of just see
0: patterns here where none exist. It is interesting putting those, you know, etymology or whatever, you know, of these ideas aside. It is interesting how colleges are just so good at kind of indoctrination. Like, I, I remember myself, I was, you know, 18, going to college, had like zero political beliefs or pretty, you know, and then after college, I was just super woke. Like, and like I didn't even think twice of it. And I didn't study the critical theorists or whatever. Like, there's just something. Uh, University of Michigan.
1: Okay. And did, did you see that other pattern? The kids you came in with? Did they all end up woke too?
0: Yes. Yeah. And University of Michigan is super, like, they're... There was a conservative like club or whatever, but it they were losers and it just like, you know, this. Was, I went to college during Obama's ele- election, um, first election. It was so it was pretty like, you know, I went to college in 2008. So, uh, so it was pretty like severe wokeness, but we were definitely like talking about diversity. Like we were def- definitely like, you know, left on so many, so many issues, so much so that my dad threatened to like not pay for my college <laughs> as an immig- as an immigrant. Yeah, I, just, I, I don't know how they did it, but it just seemed is – that, is that not your experience or your perception of people entering college?
1: I don't know. I mean, I've always thought – I mean, there's some, you know, some research that just sort of – that it doesn't change all that much like the look at freshmen versus – I think during I – I went to college around the same time. And I think the Obama thing was unique because Obama really captured the imaginations of young people. So it, it might have just been the time. It, it might not have been that the college actually brainwashed them. I mean, it's – my recollection of college is like most people did – you know, they were sort of, they followed their inclination. There was a, a committed few who were really into like what, you know, they're like, these people worship authorities, so like their professors would talk about some like crazy feminist or something and they would get really into it, right? Um, that was, you know, like in my, you know, not very good school at like the University of Colorado. Um, there was a few, you know, a few people like that just really, to, and then they would congregate in a few departments, like the real crazies. So they would go to like women's studies or something like that. And then I remember like most of the other people just sort of being apolitical. Although now that I look back at it, I did, one, I did work in the mail room at the University of Colorado. So I did see that for the when people's voter registrations came in the mail. And I was able to just look at them because they're just a postcard you could put in the box. And I would just, I tried to find a Republican actually. And it was funny, I went through dozens and dozens and every single one uh, was a Democrat. Um, so yeah, did the University of Colorado students around you know, 2008, did they 100% of them come into? Colleges, Democrats, highly unlikely. I mean, but again, this was also the Obama era, and maybe Obama just captured the imagination of the youth. So, I don't know. I did uh, notice that the University of Chicago Law School is sort of an opposite thing because the University of Chicago Law School is very into law and economics. Like, there's a very strong connection between the legal for law school and the economics departments. A lot of professors teach in like both areas, and so like people would. Um, uh, you know, like we would be incorporating the class. Okay, like if you have this law and contracts or towards, like how does it, you know, affect economic growth? And like even like we had a lot of professors who were like, I don't want to hear about what's fair. I don't want to hear about equitable. The, the, these were like the professors teaching these classes. Um, the, you know, that all the one else had to take. And I did notice a little bit of a brainwashing uh, too in the conservative direction, and the people would use more sort of economic language to to talk about things. And so, yeah, my, I, my, I think I probably agree with you more than I disagree with you. I'm a little bit confused by the literature, which suggests that this doesn't exist. But, you know, intuitively, I think it, experience tells me it does. So, yeah, I don't know.
0: Building on your point, you know, sort of the conversation around do ideas matter? What do you think about the claim that actually, you know, sort of far left ideas are really like a series of tactics for a group of people to just gain power within an organization, especially like young people? you know, to rise up um, and just like, are you sympathetic with that?
1: I mean, it is part that, I mean, there's all these ways to understand conservatism and liberalism and politics. And like that does happen, that does happen unquestionably. Right. And, you know, you need the ideas to sort of make that those that work right if you try to like you know woman goes and crying 1950s like you know know, they put her in a mental institution they say she's got she's got problems right today they they give her the keys to the company right uh so obviously there needs to be some kind of like background for things to work uh this way so yeah i mean i think it's you know i think that like to conceptualize uh sort of liberalism and wokeness is kind of a generational warfare, particularly, I mean, it sort of becomes inevitable, like, maybe not inevitable, but sort of much more likely when you're like, if you're a liberal white male, like, what do you what do you say, right? All the women and all the blacks in your organization are against you and saying, you know, you've hurt me in some way. And your entire ideology says that white males are oppressing, you know, women and minorities. Um, how do you even defend yourself? It's very difficult. Uh, so it's unsurprising that, yeah, people, people would take advantage of that.
0: Shifting topics a little bit. I'm, I'm curious how you see the conversation on feminism evolving, like if you compare where we are now to where we were during the Me Too era, it feels like there's like a reactionary feminism, you know, um, movement that that has emerged, you know, the Louise Perry, uh, you know, the Mary Harrington um, and Mary Eberstadt way, way before her. I'm, I'm curious if you think this kind of, put aside that specific movement, but just like reactionary feminism or, or, or push back to feminism within women has legs, or like, how do you see feminism going forward?
1: I mean, this reaction seems to me seems to me to be in like an online movement. I don't see any like politician who's standing up and calling yourself a reactionary feminist, or any male politician saying, "Oh, I represent these women; these are these reactionary feminists, or my kind of woman." Like, no, it seems to me that like what's going on with women in politics now is a big focus on the reproductive rights issue, um, and you know, the sorting by uh, the sorting by sex, um, and then like. Yeah, I, do I see anything sort of? Is there anything beyond that? That's uh...
0: your prediction. I be, I believe is that going forward, women won't be as in as high positions as as they were, um, or with as much frequency, if there is in fact a level playing field. That, that's I'm predicting that. Oh, so I'm assuming affirmative action goes away. Yeah, well. yeah. I'm guessing that that's the prediction. And if if that happens, like, how will feminism respond? Will they like triple down harder uh, on? On that as a tactic. Like what, what do you what do you think?
1: Uh, I think that movements tend to sort of I think they may be so distracted by the, you know, the abortion rights stuff that they might just not focus on that. I mean I think this I think this stuff is huge. And I think they're I think it's gonna be going, you know, there I think that there's gonna be the pro-life movement's gonna be going for in vitro fertilization. I mean there's already uh, some talk of that. Maybe maybe birth control, uh, even if it doesn't happen at the national level. It'll happen at some state level or there'll at least be talk of it. And that will grab people's attention. You know, what, if there was like, uh, you know, if there was sort of a rollback of civil rights law and women were not that represented, would that make them double up? Look, I don't think they're that represented in like corporate boardrooms now. I mean, I think it's pretty still pretty male in like the Senate, you know, and stuff like that. You know, the other positions of power tend to be pretty male. And so yeah. it doesn't seem to be that strong of a correlation between, you know, it's like, hey, you have a critical mass of women and they change the culture, right? But the culture never moves to 50-50 just because men and women are different and you know more men will be you know uh, able to attain you know the highest positions possible i do think that there's you know there's got to be some kind of i think that like the trans thing which is primarily a, a young woman thing um i think does reflect some kind of you know something very deeply wrong is going on here. Like there's, so, you know, there's, there's the. It could, it could be in some way that you know women being encouraged to be exactly like men and seek the exact same thing men want. They just decided that they were men. I guess <laughs> they just they just decided they were they were biologically men. They were men, and so they changed their genders. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a response to something deeply, deeply unnatural. I think that the so the trans thing and the women's thing is not is not necessarily easy to separate. I think the next generation of like. People who's going to see like these older people who like had these you know uh, you know these surgeries and these other kinds of things. I think it's going to I think it's going to create a backlash. I would be you know I I don't think trans can you know increase it I think this this thing is to sort of is, is going to sort of play itself out, and maybe we get a sort of a, a more reactionary feminism at this point. But that's you know generational terms. I think in the media terms, it's going to be reproductive health uh, issues that are going to dominate.
0: There's there's a certain claim that that says that the world, or at least the US, let's say, just tends to, or is, is moving leftwards over time. And, and there, you know, there's some, like, it's like a hockey stick, which has some, you know, pushback, but it's never like big enough to, you know, offset the gain. And we're just on a road to pedophilia and bestiality and all these things that conservatives uh, like are concerned about, like what's after tea. Um, and then like, if you reflect back to like what conservatives care about over 40 years, you know, it's like, well, Christianity, you know, uh, you know, marriage, uh, gender roles, like a lot of things that were like core to how they live their lives have been gone. You have a post that um, recognizes that actually conservatives ha- have some wins. You know, you mentioned abortion, uh, gun rights, um, you know, a few, a few others in there. Um, my sense is you are um, very skeptical of the idea that the the world is just mo- or U.S. is just moving left. And um, and that's why you're more comfortable with the idea that there are brake pedals. Um, it's You know, Jonathan Haidt might say some things like this or Tyler Cowen, like once leftism just gets a little bit too crazy, it will just like naturally offset itself. And so you don't you're that's why you're you're more OK with a, a woke elite than like a socialism elite, because you don't think the woke elite will get much worse than it is today. Is that an accurate summary of, of where you're at?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, whether things are always getting liberal, I mean, I think it depends on exactly what you're talking about. So what conservatives have focused on specific issues, right? Guns or abortion or something, uh, homeschooling—they uh, they have victories. I mean, they they do normal politics and they win in normal politics ways. Now, if like your definition of conservatism is society has to be more religious, conservatism hasn't done that. But no, I mean, no society has done that. I mean, every society. I mean, like you have to just sort of accept that some things are sort of a natural part of progress and that like every society like look when people get more exposure to the world they get more exposure to ideas they get wealthier uh they they get more secular i mean that's just that's just that's just life i mean the you know rural uh, you know rural areas and i'm sure if you go to the middle east you go to muslim countries the rural areas are much more religious than the urban life right and er people people are being you know urbanized they're getting wealthier this is just sort of the natural thing with the you know the internet i think the internet probably did you know made religion i mean now you can like sort of your priest makes a claim you can sort of Google it. I mean, it's inevitable that that you know that's going to create some doubt in people uh, about the faith that they're raised in. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're talking about. So, if you're talking about you know religion, I think yes. I mean, are, you know, the idea that. But if you're talking about gender roles more specifically, so if you look at like women participation in the labor rate, it's been pretty, you know, it, it went up in like the 60s and 70s. It's been pretty stable. I mean, it, it seems like we've determined that like as a society, 65 or 70% of women work and it's not going up to 100%, right? A lot of women don't want to work. A lot of women want to be stay-at-home moms. Uh, so that, you know, that number uh, of, uh, you know, women in the workforce, you know, percentage as a percentage hasn't hasn't edged up. Um, And so, you know, that's a sort of indication that people are still sort of to a large extent living, you know, traditional uh, lives. So it really depends on, you know, what you're talking about. I mean, wealth, you know, wealth is sort of you know, leads to people being able to do what they want. And I think there is a human nature and people do want things. It's not, you know, these people, you them, them the, the idea that's all mimetic, like if we just tell people to want a traditional society where they are all sitting on the farm and, you know, they don't, you know, the women don't work and they have 10 kids and, you know, they uh, you know, they just go to church every Sunday and, you know, that's the life and we just tell people that's the life they want, that's the life they'll want. I mean, I don't see any evidence of that at all. Th-
0: that makes sense. Th- there is an increasing group, in um, technology, but also probably more broadly, of people who are, you know, anti-woke, um, but they're also, you know, not traditionally right-wing in the sense that they're pro-choice, they're pro-immigration, they're pro-gay marriage, um, they're pro-technology, you know, technological growth and ge- economic growth. Well, one, do you agree that that's an increasing, you know, set of people? Do you think that those people are politically homeless, or would they find a home in, uh, in you know, being a majority in the left? or or the Democrat or Republican Party.
1: So Mark Andreessen doesn't think these people exist. Do you think these people exist? He thinks it's like three people, and we're, we're extrapolating from them. Are, are there a lot of tech right-wing
0: people? I, I, well, tech, they wouldn't call themselves right-wing, but they're, they're, they're yeah, anti-left. I, I think they exist. Um, I think it's open question. Is it 10%? Is it 5%? Is it 30%? I don't know. I mean, it's, always, it's the great tribe, right? Like, how big is the, is the great tribe? And, you know, is there ever a constituency for the great tribe, right? <laughs> but like Elon might have been part of this great tribe, Like, and so the, it, could the great tribe take over the Republican Party basically. Oh,
1: if they wanted to. Yeah, I think they could. I, I don't see anybody trying to do that. Yeah. I, you know, I think that, you know, well, could they take over? I mean, look at Peter, look at Peter. Look at uh, Peter Thiel funded. Uh, he bought, he bought two, he basically bought two Senate seats. Well, one, 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 well, but then one got the nomination in two seats, right? Um, and that's, that's incredible. I mean, to just do that, you know, one guy just doing that. So I think, yeah, I think the political system is, um, is pretty open and, you know, he started with a guy, he started with, you know, these, these guys who are outsiders to politics and working with, you know, established politicians. It's probably, there's probably an even, uh, a greater, uh, you know, a greater return to that. So yeah, I mean, if there was a real you know, movement, it's like, you know, what do you need? You need money, you need ideas, you need cultural cash. Yeah, I mean, people in tech have that. So the, you know, the prominent people in tech, I think if they, you know, the world is open to them, if they do want to, look at me. I mean, I've influenced politics. I've, I mean, you know, I've influenced Vivek and who am I? I have nobody. I have nothing. And, you know, Vivek is now saying he's going to repeal, you know, Eel and he's sure to be the next president. So th- th- that shows you, I mean, look at Rufo. I mean, th- there's, you know, these people who with, with a lot less than a lot of the tech guys have, you know, make it a big difference.
0: Charles Murray had this tweet recently and you wrote about it where he said, hey, we need religion. And you wrote about, uh, you know, men need sex, not religion. <laughs> they do. That's need, not the right headline. Yeah, they need sex. Uh, sex and violence. I think I, I might have been a little <laughs> bit more provocative. Unpack what you're trying to say in that piece and what, why you disagree with the the Murray um, analysis.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the, you know, I, these people who, a lot of the people who think society needs religion, you know, they they have they they tend to have doomers about where society has gone. And I just don't see the evidence that, you know, so the GDP is growing. I mean, people, you know, there's something bad happening with like teen girls and young women, right? But like, you know, most people, you know, yes, there's overdoses, but you know, 99% of people are not addicted to, you know, to fentanyl or whatever. You know, the life expectancy is basically fat people, people eating too much, and then the, you know, the drugs too, right? And so like most people don't seem, you know, societies don't seem like they need religion. I mean, European societies are not have, they're more secular than we are. And they're not having the get you a know, decrease in life expectancy because I get they don't need it much and they they don't have as uh, as um, uh, they don't have as much access to opioids right um, and so I don't see this sort of broad trend that humans really need religion now there is a correlation where, like religious people um, are happier. You know, at the same time, like the areas that are least religious, you know, they tend to have, you know, the better, better economies and there's, that's where people want to get to. People are emptying out of sort of religious regions and areas of the country and area of the world and going to, to secular places. Man needs something, right? Like it's not just, you know, people can't, people are going to be, uh, you know, people aren't, people can't just, I think, want to make as much money as possible and sort of, you know, just live this sort of sanitized life. Uh, but I think people are pretty good at sort of, finding that meaning right like people you know get married and even in countries without much religion um people you know they have sex they they chase well maybe not like japan but like you know most of of the other countries in the world they they have sex they get it to other things you know it could be sports it could be politics um you know people get into hobbies their career and that seems to you know that seems to give people meaning now people these people want like You know, like I think a lot of like intellectuals, like right big intellectuals, think that people need like cosmic meaning, like I'm going to have to live forever and, you know, the universe cares about me. And maybe some people do need that. Clearly, some people do because it's just too depressing to sort of not think that way. But I don't see evidence that like the majority of people or all people need that.
0: And I think what they're also saying is that, yeah, we find it in politics and that's bad because that leads to, um, you know, all this tribal sort of warfare.
1: I mean, look at, I mean, they think the first half of the 20th century was a time of, you know, wise politics. No, politics. No, I mean, yeah. I think you have to sort of compare it to these things.
0: So, I mean, some people would say that like the new atheists were were making a big mistake or they were, you know, not appreciating kind of the fundamental, you know, religious nature of human <laughs> in that, you know, if you reveal religion, they'll just like find it in other places. Do you think? Do you sympathize with that critique of new atheists?
1: The new atheists, I mean, I think were interesting uh, because, you know, I agree with them on like a lot of like specific, probably most specific issues that they're worried about, the things that they don't like religion for. But I think they yeah, I think they are not taking enough account of, of the human nature and sort of what people need. So I, you know, I say everyone like society doesn't need religion, but I would never say that like nobody needs religion. Like if we like everyone could be Sam Harris or Christopher Hitchens and like be happy. Like, no, obviously for some portion of the population, they really, uh, really do need it. And I think so th- I think that was the uh, I think that was the mistake. Um you know, as far as the I new, mean, but it's very interesting because this was sort of, they were responding to the, they were responding to two things, right? They were responding to the Christian, right? And they were also responding to Islam, Islamic extremism. This was you know, after the years after 9-11. And so they, they were fighting this like two front war. And it just, it sort of went out of style because everything became about whiteness, right? And so like you couldn't criticize the uh, uh, the non-white people. And so like the world sort of uh, left them behind, Right. And so, like, there's no like, place for them. You have, like, these sort of the right wingers who are sort of more identitarians themselves and then, and, like, more you know, sympathetic to Christianity, and these left wingers who just think anything, but, but at the same, uh, who think anything, you know, non white is good. At the same time, I mean, Islam did, they were sort of wrong in that, like, I don't know if they were wrong if they made a prediction of this, but Islam did sort of uh, mellow out. Um, in Europe, like the terrorism thing did not, they seem, you know, uh, to be mostly assimilating. Germany, I mean, Germany was supposed to fall apart because of the, uh, all the Syrian refugees, and it seems like, it, you know, the primary, I just saw, you know, stats recently, the primary didn't even, didn't budge all that much. And so, yeah, I mean, atheists, new atheists are sort of an interesting, you know, an interesting sort of time capsule, and like, it's interesting to think about how, like, you know, why they don't really fit in our modern categories.
0: As, speaking of, of modern categories, um, going back to the liberals and republicans, sort of strategies for it to have kind of their own, you know, some people use the word client base or, or kind of, you know, electorate, you know, the, the left tends to go for uh, your sort of the minority population and, and the right tends to go for the, the you know, the San Francisco called the medical American radicals. But the, the challenge with that is it perhaps creates the kind of populism that that you're less excited about. And so I'm curious, like what you think is a path for the Paul Ryan or, Jeb or Normie Republican
1: I, mean, I think they can learn from. I mean, I think they can learn from Joe Biden. I mean, it, it, Biden is Biden is a Bidenism is like more of a stylistic. You know, I, th- I saw you, you. I think Brian Chow talked about this in your conversation with him. Biden is more a stylistic revolution. He's way to the left of Obama, but has less of a backlash than Obama, right? And part of it is like you know his white privilege. I think that's true. I think that Obama really was like sort of did rub a lot of these um, right wingers the wrong way because of his race and has Ivy League, you know, all that stuff too. Um, but yeah, I mean, he really defagged a lot you know, has been a successful politician, had a very successful midterm. I mean, given given the circumstances. Um, and, you know, it's probably the favorite uh for 2024. And uh so yeah, I think that I think that like style and substance can be completely different things, right? I mean, I really think that like look, there are Republicans who win at the state level who do very well. They tend to be, you know, boring guys who are not the guy, you know, the the ones who get all the attention or who are not the best at getting Twitter followers. So yeah, I mean there's, you know, if you're a conservative, I the the you know, if you're a conservative, the the, the main hindrance to doing this, though, is the base and what they want. The question is, are they so disconnected from reality that, like, nothing matters? Like, maybe you could, like, with a highly educated electorate, I think the Democrats have this, you could say, like, oh, this is the least electable person. But, like, with a less educated or less, like, you know, literate sort of, uh, literate in the sense of, like, read, not literally can't read. They don't read. You can't even make that argument because they will just think, oh, you know, Trump has the biggest rallies. Everyone loves Trump, or everyone loves this guy. like, you know, and so they don't learn from history. So this is this is the difficult part. I think this can be taken over. I think there needs to be a synthesis. I think that a lot of the uh, never Trump types, the Jeb Bush and I like that crowd. I had a conversation with Tim Miller uh, not that long ago, and he's in these circles. I think I think those people are like they don't have they can't. Do this synthesis. All they can do is rage against Trumpism because they don't have the same sympathies. Like, they don't have any of the grievances that the Trump people have. Someone like me, I mean, I share some of the grievances with, like, you know, the populists and the right wingers have. Um, And so, like, somebody who has, like, who shares those grievances. Uh, but at the same time, sort of sees what the problem is with mega sort of populism of run amok. I think that's going to be the person who can synthesize. But it's got. But again, it's, it's got to happen after Trump because, de, like, if Trump wasn't here, like DeSantis would just be sailing to the nomination. People would say, "Oh, this is a reasonable politician." He might not even have to go so far right. He might be able to be like more electable, um, and it might actually work. But you know, it's it's, it's hard just when, when Trump is there and you know just the, the force that can't be moved.
0: Yeah, it is too bad that Elon is not a U.S. citizen. Because it would be fascinating if you ran.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so too. Yeah, I, I don't know if he. I don't know if he would, but it would be. It would be interesting. Yeah, we should. We should try to draft. We should try to draft that. We should try to do a tech guy, a governor in each state. We should just like seed them around the country and then see what see what can happen. Do,
0: do you Do you think actually like in the next twelve years Vivek has a chance of making it? Like, if you had to predict what is Vivek's path, um, what would you expect? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, a lot of a lot of Vivek uh, specific questions. Uh, look the idea of any individual becoming a president is a long shot right Um, And so the odds of me or you or Vivek or anyone else becoming president is very, very long. I think he has a future in Republican politics, though. Um, I think he can run, you know, the OFC, you know, if there's a Republican president, he can run, you know, the OCCP and the Department of Labor. He can't be a high ranking official. I think he could, you know, I think he could run for office. um, You know, I think he could do well. So, yeah, I think Vivek is, uh, you know, I'm I'm bullish on Vivek, you know, president. He's going for the full thing, you know, the whole thing, like, you know, very early on. But I think, like, regardless of how that ends up, he has. uh, He has a good future.
0: I want to ask you about other esteemed um, right-wing thinkers. Um, First, uh, Bronze Age Pervert. (laughs) I'm I'm curious because, in in some ways, there's like some similarities in terms of you know secular rightism, you know, uh, interest in Nietzsche. Roots in 2015. How do you sort of characterize the Bronze Age Pervert uh, phenomenon?
1: So I have a Bronze Age Pervert. Take that I think I've shared with you, and that I think you know. I think I'm going to say for now. I'm, I'm wondering if I should I should write this up, but I, you know, I will say generally I do appreciate you know I do appreciate a good Nietzschean. I don't think we have enough of that uh, in, in our society. I think everyone's trying to be an egalitarian, I, and even like the people who think they're anti egalitarian are really you know egalitarians. And they're you know, they're well they just have a different uh, tribe. He's a, you know he's he's a hilarious writer. I mean his his book is uh, very funny. Um, it's entertaining. Yeah, you know, I think that the uh, you know the and, and you know he's 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 uh, you know he understands he I think he sees sort of the problems with a lot of the, the populism too. I think he sees the problems with pro life stuff and with the uh, with the sort of uh, the left wing economic stuff or trying to explain you know particularly bad is trying to explain cultural things in terms of you know conspiracy of capitalists or whatever. Uh, so yeah, that is a that is an entertaining enough figure.
0: Well, what would you say are kind of your biggest disagreements with the uh, let's say like Tyler Cowens or, or Brian Kaplan's? Is it that they are, you know, not willing to go far enough on the – are they egalitarians at heart or like, – where would you say big the disagreements?
1: Uh, you know, they're probably, I mean, closer to me politically than uh, most other people. I think, well, Brad Kaplan, I mean, this is this is not like uh, tied to anything else, but Brad Kaplan doesn't believe in animal rights. Uh, well, I do. I don't know if Tyler believes in animal rights or not, but I think you know uh, more humane approach to animals is probably correct. But I you know, I'm, I'm sort of this is not an issue that mo- a lot of people uh, talk about. Uh, right. Tyler's Tyler's worldview is generally you know, pro, pro progress. You know, uh, you know, I think I, I moved more towards him on foreign affairs and international uh, issues. I probably doesn't don't go as far as. Uh, he does, you know, I think he, think he probably thinks that, you know, that he really, I think, I think I see him as like sort of more of a supporter of American foreign policy. I think he's more hawkish on China, uh, than I am. I, you know, I think, you know, I think there's a way actually, actually, that's a good one because I did talk to Tyler a little bit about this at Emergent Ventures. And I was, I was telling him that basically, I think that after the end of the Cold War that the U.S. had uh, you know, or said clinton uh i was reading a book called by mary sarat called not one age and i think there was a missed opportunity where like we could have really had peace with the russians uh, we could have really uh like move towards the abolition of nuclear weapons my my understanding is that they were ready to do this and the u.s just wasn't wasn't happy the u.s had the power at the time and was going to keep pushing forward and i think you know i think there could be uh understanding reach with china i think we could have a positive influence like it's like the right and the left like we say oh the right influence left. we influence china and china influences well china probably doesn't influence us that much we're, we probably influence china more than they influence us we're, we're we're the we're the cultural you know we're the real cultural superpower and we're the one in their backyard well they're not in our backyard although we imagine you know china has all this influence in the u.s which uh, i i just don't believe and so yeah i think there's on the ai stuff i think there's like I don't know how worried to be about it, but like you know the fact that I don't know means like we should be, we should be at least taking some precautions. and I think there could be sort of if we were able to sort of you know work with the Chinese here, I think we could do something. And I think like you know uh, a lot of you know I think the Chinese just want to stay in power and I think probably a lot of their bad uh, you know their bad instincts and their bad um, behavior in the last few years is based on um, sort of uh, America trying to build uh, you know a coalition to check their power. Uh, So yeah, I think I'm more of a, maybe a liberal internationalist than Tyler is.
0: Lastly, how about Scott Alexander?
1: Um, Scott Alexander is funny because like, I think he, I don't know if he calls himself a liberal or other people call himself a liberal, but like, I, I agree with like everything he writes. I, you know, I think that he's more, you know, there's, there's an instinctual thing. Like, I think he's like comfortable with like hanging out people who are polyamorous and I'm not like a big prude, but yeah, the polyamory thing, I, I don't, I don't tend to like, um and you know the trans stuff i mean i think he's he's much more comfortable with that but you know i'm not like uh you know i i i'm not like a big like policy person like i like i want to you know yeah i mean mean, in some ways i'm like a traditional conservative like i think probably if you told scott alexander what rufo was doing i don't know what he'd think he'd probably just say "I, i don't think that's the greatest you know thing in the world i don't think he'd be like so up and down like you know against it completely or maybe he would i don't know um i guess our interests are probably in different places like i'm interested in sort of the day-to-day of american politics uh, yeah it's hard to say scott alexander i'm very congenial towards i think it's easier it's easier to disagree with like a politician or something than it is somebody like scott alexander the scott alexander is just like sort of a unique and interesting figure and we sort of focus on different things to a large extent and a lot of the different one when you say what are your difference with him most things that come to mind uh tend to be more just like Oh, this is a thing I've thought about a lot, but he's not thought about a lot. So it's like you know, it's going to make sense that we differ.
0: It's interesting. You reviewed Jonathan Rauch's book, *The Constitution of Knowledge*. You talked about uh, sort of, I guess, you know, um, the, the attack vectors within. I think you called it white male liberalism. Um, and it's interesting because Jonathan Rauch wrote a really great book called *Kindly Inquisitors* in like 1992, and that was the book that got me really excited about like classical liberalism. But seeing that he like is unable, it, it's unable to defend itself. It's almost like what is a what is the liberalism that can actually defend itself? I guess it, it's one that is more on the side of liberty than equality or or equity.
1: But Rauch does this very uh, so. I just it's a very annoying thing uh, that I you know write in my review is that like he acknowledges you know that like oh it's bad that like institutions like didn't have a lot of women and Like okay, like then those like why, why if Western institutions are so great. But white men can't build great institutions. And like, yeah, we should change those institutions because, like, you just told us that like diversity in institutions and building them is like very important. So like, you know, what is what is this argument? Oh, it's just a coincidence. White men built everything that ha- I happen to like. But don't pay attention to that. And now we're gonna include women and different kinds of people, and nothing's gonna change. I, I just don't think that's realistic.
0: Gearing towards closing here, you know, you mentioned that uh, in in one of your posts how liberals read more and conservatives uh, watch more TV. At the same time, you are uh, a big TV aficionado yourself, uh, so I'm curious if you could recommend uh, one TV show to liberals. Uh, what would it be? And uh, one book to conservatives. What would it be?
1: A TV show uh, to liberals. I mean, I think that all like liberals like this. Uh, prestige TV shows, and I always see that there's much more of a sort of conservative message uh, that you know that liberals I would think would be comfortable f- with, but that liberals often you know will end up liking the same shows, and that's very interesting. Michelle Goldberg had an article in the uh, New York Times about Succession, and people are going to watch this, you know, are going to watch this or listen to this later. Uh, we're you know three, I think three or four episodes of Succession. I won't give any spoilers, but her take on Succession was like almost the exact opposite of mine. Uh, but we you know we both we both really like. Uh, we both rule really like the show. You know, I think that you you I think most I think people should probably if they want to understand conservative, they should probably like watch Tucker and Hannity and sort of get the I think like watch like a full like both of them like together just to get like the two sort of these two sort of sides of conservatism. They're not the two sides, they're not the only aspects, but they're like two sort of distinct branches of like sort of what conservative conservatism is right now. It's a generational thing, it's an online uh versus uh uh, TV, TV thing. Um, I do think if you haven't watched Succession, I think I think you should because I think it's sort of, sort of a uh, uh, you know, a test of sort of your politics and how you see it. I think everyone everyone who's really into politics ends up liking it, but it seems to me that they like it for uh sort of different reasons. And then you know, uh, a book for you know conservatives. I think it depends on you know sort of uh, what they're interested in. You know, love, I'm a big fan of Nietzsche. I think zoroastra I think Zirustra's a great book even though I'm not a big philosophy guy. I do like Zoroastra. I think the uh, I think the you know Hayek's. Uh, uh road to serfdom. I, I still think, you know, the ideas about central planning. I used to think this stuff was very basic and like why the price system is important and why central planning doesn't work. Um, you know, I grew up sort of reading that stuff because libertarianism was a big thing. But apparently I think kids have like lost that. So like you need to understand like why all the things you believe in now like still don't work. Like there hasn't been any great new Conceptual breakthrough that makes, uh, you know, tariffs a good thing or you know, industrial policy a good thing. I, I think that that's, uh, I think that that's probably still worth uh, checking out for people uh, who haven't. And then, uh, of course, my book, my book and uh, Origins of Woke will be out in uh, September, and people should read all my articles on wokeness uh, as preparation, and then read that when that comes out.
0: Yeah, we'll put them in the show notes. It's interesting. Some people think if you're super pro AI, some people think that actually the price problem might be fixed. By uh by a centralized sort of algorithm that will be able oh to you'll see.
1: finally be smart enough to do central planning yeah we'll we'll see we'll see yeah, not the first time that claim's been made <laughs> yeah exactly um
0: so may- maybe last question you know any commentary on like Silicon Valley intellectual culture like a lot of people listening to this might be you know entrepreneurs or, or investors who are kind of politics curious but uh, you know it's not their it's not their main thing and you have a little bit of a sense for what Silicon Valley has been or tech in general has been exposed to intellectually. Any, any any commentary on that
1: yeah I you know I think that if they are interested in politics um, I think this goes back to sort of what we've been talking about with ideas versus sort of processes and sort of my you know theories about how uh, the world and how policy changes I think you have to get directly like don't think that like you're just gonna like have a very high level thing you're gonna have some great art and that's gonna like change people's minds and that's gonna change the culture like you know maybe like in the, the very long run but the, the the most direct path to power is is power i mean and often cul- and people think culture people see the flow from culture to politics they don't understand that so much of culture is also downstream of politics these things interact together so if you're interested in culture do the call do the cultural thing right um if you're interested in politics don't go this indirect route go the direct route and then the culture will also be influenced and you know you'll you'll, you'll change the world in the way you are so i think my work on wokeness i think why it's um had a big influence is because it's not, I'm not telling something, people something abstract. I'm telling people something. This is what happened, and this is exactly what you can do. But I'm spoon feeding them. I'm not leaving anything to sort of that can fall through the cracks. Because if you think someone else is going to like pick up, it's probably you see it in a in a in uh in you know, building companies or whatever. Like you think there's this great idea, and you think someone's just going to pick up the baton and do it. And then often it just doesn't happen. They're like you have to do yourself, like like no, like you you have to sort of figure out the steps of like why this thing is important, why it's relevant, exactly what it can be done. And you could influence people in that way. And that means whether, you know, you could be a writer, you could support a writer uh, doing these things, or you could just go into the political activism directly and just focus on your issue. I would I would tell people to be more concrete here. Think of it sort of more the way you would a business rather than, you know, these sort of abstract ideas about theory or culture is going to somehow change the world. It does, but like, you know, it's very, it's much, much harder to do and much, much more uncertain.
0: It, it's interesting. Maybe, maybe too many people took the Breitbart idea that, you know, culture is more important than politics. Exactly, they took it. We took it way too far. My, my guest today has been Richard Hanania. I highly recommend uh, reading the book, or pre-ordering the book, uh, and uh, checking out Richard's Substack and Twitter. Richard, thanks for, for joining the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Upstream with Eric Tornberg is a show from Turpentine, the podcast network behind Moment of Zen and Cognitive Revolution. If you like the episode, please leave a review in the Apple Store. Hey. It's Eric. There's no shortage of tech and business podcasts, but few actually give you a true and regular dose of the future. The A16Z podcast is the exception. It's a lighthouse for founders, breaking down the most important trends in technology and business. Struggling to keep up with the pace of change in AI? They just spoke to top builders from OpenAI, Anthropic, Roblox, and more, wondering what on earth is happening up in space. They just dropped a series on the satellite economy or questioning whether recent salary transparency legislation will cause clarity or chaos. They just broke down how companies can not only survive, but thrive in this new environment. Host Steph Smith sits down with some of the world's most influential people, movers who have a track record of being both early and right, like Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, Nobel Prize-winning astrophysicist John Mather, and A16Z co-founders Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz. So go ahead, eavesdrop on the future by following the A16Z podcast on your favorite podcast app and tell them I sent you.